Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 85 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. And we are joined today by Loremaster Doug from oh 2 Plus Tough. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> yes, really looking forward to just having you on board for all the foolishness between show open and show close. And joining uh, <laughs> us for all the things that you know about as a listener and everybody else does. So really, really exciting. And Brendan, what are you guys going to talk about today? Well, first off, for anybody who doesn't know, Doug runs just this real tiny, like, little YouTube channel. You know, just just a, a couple of people where he talks about the lore from Age of Sigmar. And it's actually where I go to decide if I've heard enough and I know enough of the background or if I want to actually go in and read the book and do a, a more full read. Yeah, it's where I get my minimum surface knowledge and it's where I yep. make the decision points on if I want to continue. If you want a high school level book report of a Games Workshop battle tome, I got ya. That, that's okay, I've never passed an English exam, so it's, there you go. that's about the limit that I can get to. <laughs> so we're gonna be talking number one to Doug, and number two, Doug, you also made the trip to Naperville, and for those of you who aren't offended by Chicago suburbs calling themselves Chicago, Chicago, to play <laughs> at Holy Havoc. Now I'm from Chicago, so it's a it's a whole thing, right? But if, uh, uh, oh yes. But I'm actually from a suburb, so anybody who's from the city proper, you know, will will take umbrage to that. But no one is expected to know all the different suburbs. <laughs> We're going to be talking to Doug, and we're talking to uh, about the trip to Havoc, which I also went to as well. And we actually played Game 3, and we yeah. all went out to dinner on Saturday night. There will be some crossover points that we'll be talking about there. Mm-hmm. And, and then we're going to go ahead and ask Doug some outside questions from Havoc, just some general things that we'd like to know and have him share his thoughts on those. But other than that, we're ready to roll, and we are going to jump right into Whispers from the War. Let's do it. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Okay, Mr. Doug is the guest. Hobby? Jumping right yeah. in there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far as hobby goes, basically, I haven't done much since I got back from Havoc. Uh, I was in a mad dash to paint up my Knights Excelsior, which are, is my Stormcast, storm host of choice, mm-hmm. because I love paladins, and I didn't realize how much I would like painting the color white like as an armor uh but i really do i've come to love it yeah so leading up to uh, to havoc it was just a mad dash to do that and haven't done much since i kind of just been decompressing a little bit getting over a cold if you can hear it in my voice that's about hobby for me okay coolio great stuff so obviously you played stormcast at Yes. Okay. All right, Coolio. Brendan, how about you, buddy? Also Havoc-related, I had to get a couple of bases done up because I had stuff that was painted, but the bases weren't done. Thankfully, there wasn't really any model painting to be done in the lead-up to that because I have been attempting to burn candles from as many ends as humanly possible. (laughs) And I recognize this cylinder is more than two ends, so I've taken a couple cracks at burning it from the middle, which has left me with not a lot of time. I've been kind of chipping away at my kill boss on Corpse Ripa Vulture. I've almost finished up the rider, and as I talked about on Warhammer Weekly this week, I've been kind of working on doing some white layering on the feathers and trying to get some good 
depth on the color whites on something like that. It's taken me a little bit. I finished up some five dire wolves this morning while I was waiting for some other stuff to dry. You know, by my standards, that's a slow <laughs> couple weeks. That's true. Yeah, we've got that. Yeah. I won some stuff in the recent hobby raffles at Dragonfall and Havoc that have been Slanesh-related. I've been kind of eyeballing a like a Mortals Slanesh army painted in a totally different theme than my Demons that Nick McKenna commissioned yeah, for me. Yeah, You know, kind of painting that up to a high standard for something like Havoc. I've been eyeballing that. I haven't been bold enough to crack open those boxes and and really review what I've got going on with that, but it's been on my radar. I've been thinking about it, and if purchasing counts as hobby, then thinking also counts as hobby. Yeah, absolutely. In all its forms, man, sure. Yeah, this is my shot across the bow at playing and slaying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go, Leo. How about yourself, Jeff? We're going to talk about an event that kind of came up recently that I wasn't aware of, and I it, it was really cool. And so I decided I'm going to do a The Strength of the Pack is the Wolf list for this. I have now completed, I just painted and primed another 40 zombies and did the same with another 30 wolves. I still have 10 more wolves to go, so I'll have a total of 60 wolves and 80 zombies in this list. I have no big guys. I have Belladama. I have Radikar, a Necromancer. I'm taking Gorslav to see how he does with bringing back all the undead. That should be really fun. But it's very, very thematic. I have no idea how it's going to run, but it just is something I wanted to do. Got out there, put all the models together, and really excited. I've got 10 of the wolves painted, but that is pretty much it, except for the Necromancer and Gorslav. Those are the only things I've painted otherwise. And Brendan tells me that we're not really doing paint scores, which is good. Oh, yeah. Paint not required. Which is great. when we get to events, we'll talk about why we've chosen to not do paint required because we've decided to go with a very unusual format. Yes, and... Because you're power gamers right there, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> sure. oh, Doug, it's so much weirder than that. It's great. <laughs> and so I'm hoping to get either Belladama or Radicar painted, or both, but I think just with schedule in the next couple weeks, it's going to be tough to get them both done before that first weekend in uh, December. Yeah, if I can, that'd be great. Otherwise, I'm just going to have a whole bunch of bodies to push around with uh, movement trays and have a great time, or somebody else will, as we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's been my hobby, and I have also, though, gotten some Infinity models built in. You're talking about your buddy that you met with at Rock. which is kind of the last episode we talked about how I kind of re-energize my interest in infinity and there's actually a kill team version yeah called code one i got all the models from the the starter box built and primed which is always a challenge with (laughs) with metal models but really really looking forward after PantsCon to kind of sit down and maybe start working on these models in terms of paint and stuff so yeah that's out there as well yeah Right on, right on. All right. I must have missed that part of the episode. I didn't realize you were into Infinity. That's awesome. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit, and and I know you are, because one of the reasons I know what I know... This is the whole reason Dan invited you on, Doug. Oh, okay. okay. (laughs) Nothing else. It was a a hard Infinity pivot on the podcast. (laughs) I stumbled across your Infinity lore stuff, (laughs) and it was like, wait a minute. This isn't the same guy. Like... He doesn't do Infinity. It was like, oh, yeah, okay. Now you got a whole series. I'm racking them up right there. It, it's the oft-rumored Nega Doug, <laughs> yes, which yes. is a joke for literally nine people. Uh, <laughs> so. so don't worry, listeners. I'll be getting to you if you didn't get that joke. All righty. 
hobby for all of us is there and we're going to move on to kind of releases and things out there so one of the interesting things on the 40k side is they issued a balance what they're calling a balanced data sheet and our yeah. data slate and i found the changes interesting some of the major points I and mean, we're not going to go into it in detail but both the drukari and the admech had points adjustments pretty significant ones the orcs have unit limits in other words you can only take one of this list of specific units which was interesting there is a flyer limit now and basically for every thousand points of your list you get to take a flyer so in a 2000 point list you can only take two flyers this is all in addition to the rule of three yes this is a new thing (laughs) crazy the necrons they have a list of all the necron units now that are core and it's like a dozen units that are have the core keyword. So they're all just like kind of like Battle Line and Sigmar now. They've mm-hmm. made a whole bunch of them Battle Line. Another interesting thing was that knights now count as five models for securing objectives. That was interesting. Oh, Were they one good. to four? Yes, or? just one. And they've given them objective secured ability, which is big in 40k. Well, just yes. make them count as 30. Oh, wait, we, there's, uh, we've already learned that lesson. Yeah. Those are among the things that they put in there. And again, if you're into 40K or interested in the game at all, I think it would be interesting to take a look at it, see some of the changes, talk to people you know, and see what they think about this attempt to balance the game a little bit more. The plan, as all plans, you know, don't always work out, the plan is for every quarter to issue another one of these and try to make changes like this. So we will see what happens with it, but it's of interest, so we wanted to mention it to you. It's like Black Templar Palooza. If you go to the Games Workshop website, there is a bazillion Black Templar things. There are boxes, there are bits, there are bobs, there's characters, there's units, there's all kinds of Black Templar stuff. So it is just huge tidal wave of Black Templar. Are uh, either one of you guys tempted by that? Like, do you have some connection to Black Templars or something like that? Only the lore side, because I'm a big Sigismund fan, because I always hated Dorn. He just annoyed me, you know. From the (laughs) moment that he gave Nathaniel Garrow the stink eye, it was like, really? It just... Stop. The stink guy. He punched him into oblivion. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, because Sigismund and Garrow have this real connection, you know, in the lore. And Garrow is definitely my favorite character. So that is my only real connection to the Black Templars is I know he was kind of the, quote, founder of that chapter so they're my favorite space marine chapter so i'm tempted to (laughs) to buy and do some painting but i don't necessarily have any interest in playing games but maybe as um hobbyist as kind of a a change of pace painting project not that i don't Mm -hmm. have like seven hundred thousand of those sitting in my basement so (laughs) do you have any interest at all or not really they're interesting because it's kind of like sisters of battle when those got previewed and and then released Mm -hmm. where it's like there's just a whole bunch of people that have a lot of nostalgia which is awesome i'm glad they're getting cool models and stuff like that but i never really cared much for except for admech for like really any 40k faction to be honest with you okay all right then red harvest the war cry box is on the street too it's out there and you can buy it and do whatever you want with that but those are the two oh go ahead (laughs) I was just going to ask, do you guys play Warcry at all? No. Do not. I think I've played like a sum total of three games. We said we were going to do it like as a group with some of the local Milwaukee guys. And just after we played those couple of games, nobody ever spoke of it ever again. Like, (laughs) 
like a joint shame that everybody carries with them. Like, like what's weird to me is everyone got their cards. Like everybody, you know, in some cases went out and bought models specifically to do it. We never even were just like, hey, let's get together and play Warcry again. And, you know, no one was ever able to get the schedule lined up. It's just no one ever asked. Yeah. It was like, that was... I remember we ended up two years ago at Midwest Meltdown. It was the it, just when it had come out, literally that weekend. Right, and Domus had a couple of yeah, pieces, and people, and, were, playing and people were playing it. Yeah, uh, so some airy was, days. Whatever, and there are people who do play it. So the new terrain some, is super dope, though. I might be trying to look to get my hands on it for the charity table stuff like mm-hmm. that because yeah. yeah. I, I think it, it could be an interesting one but beyond that the war scrolls are cool i'm gonna have to consider acquisition of the units because for their points level 100 points on the dark oath oath keepers or whatever they mm-hmm. are are really good yeah yeah they are yeah. these two new factions are pretty interesting that they've got coming out so so okay. take a look it's out there and ready to go but other than that that's the main release stuff that's come out then we're going to move on to games played other than sigmar so i have i mean i don't know what it is but every once in a while i just get this hankering to go back and play sci-fi beyond earth and brendan's tired of me talking about it now but i have played a few games between now and the last show and just really enjoyed it and i don't know if it, the ai is actually intelligent or something but i cranked it up to the highest like you know impossibly hard level and i've beaten almost all of the the ais and there's like 12 of them man i had to work so hard to beat a couple of them this time i'm like no i'm going back to the very hard level because that's enough for me Hmm. and uh but i really enjoy it and it's just a great so i've done some stuff with that then last night i had a friend dave osterwind he's a father of a former student of mine and i found out years ago that dave was a board game guy and so we have occasionally met at his house to have board game night. And we did that last night. We were up till, what, 11.30, Cindy, or something? We were up super late. But we had a great time. We played Galaxy Truckers. And the, for most people who know board games, it is just a classic. And none of these guys had played it before. So we ended up playing three games of it because mm-hmm. they loved oh, it so sweet. much. And it was great. And then there was some like little boxes of cards, like card games. There was one called Quicks which was interesting. It was kind of like a dice game. You rolled dice and made choices. There was another one called Cockroach Poker. It's like a German game, but it's like a bluffing game. And it was hilarious because this one guy, Phil, he kept like throwing cards at me. So what you do basically is you throw a card at somebody and you say, this is a, and there's like eight different little insects or spiders or whatever. And you have to say, this is a bat and you don't see the card. And so you have to decide if it is or it isn't. And if you're correct, it goes back to the other guy. If If you're wrong, you have to keep the card. So he threw like 10 cards at me thinking, and he was going to overwhelm me. Eight out of ten, I got right. And nice. he, the other guys were like, are you ever going to stop? Do you see what's happening? It's like, it was hilarious. And then uh, we played something called Point Salad, I think it was. It, obviously, a vegetable-centric game. It was pretty funny. So all these little games, it took like 15, 20 minutes, and then we played Galaxy Trucker. It was just a great evening of playing other stuff. And uh, these, guys, these guys are all you know, a little bit older and we're all just kind of like chill and laid back. And even though it's competitive, it isn't. And then when we finished, we just sat around and talked for like 45 minutes about stuff. It was so wonderful. But uh, that's me for other stuff. But you, Doug, anything you played or, or been able to do? I'll share this one because it's relevant because Brad was a part of the story. So the only game that we have been playing in my house lately has been Crash Bandicoot Nitro Fueled Racing, which is came out like several years ago. I'm not much of a racing game guy, but for whatever reason, I've never seen my wife play a video game 
But then when she picked up the remote for this, she is like poetry in motion. I don't know like what keys into her brain that like she's so good at this game. But we've been playing that nonstop. And so while we were at Holy Havoc, she beat this final level that none of us, we just, we kept passing the remote back and forth. We could not beat it. And so I got seven tipsy dudes to go, way to go, Jess. And it just absolutely made her night. Yeah, I almost started a fight at the bar. It was very weird. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, hey, everybody, shut up, shut up, shut up. Listen to just say this. And everyone just kind of did it without questioning. So I was like, huh, I don't know any of these people. And I have apparently a lot of authority. Okay, cool. But yeah, it's just been a racing games and just, I don't know, it's it's so fun to just kind of hang out and connect over something like that. Yeah, that's great. How about you, Brendan, man? I've got, I think it's like 15 cities left to beat the co-op Warhammer Total War orc mm. campaign me and my buddy Cody are working on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're getting there. And really, it's just a matter of time. I brought the Tomb Kings to heal. He has been bringing the ruin to the Empire as of late. We're almost done with that. And then we're going to start our evil playthrough of Wasteland 3 now that all the DLC's out. Well, what are you going to play? What are you going to start as in 3? Oh, in Total War Warhammer yeah. 3 or Wasteland yeah. 3? Total War. I have no idea. Probably okay. the Ogres. Okay. The, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. They look pretty cool. They're going to be fun. Age of Sigmar, I played on a battle report for the Dias Cast YouTube channel. Mm, oh, yeah, up in West Bend. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Well, that's right. So they've been playing out of Hobby Nights in West Bend, but actually the two guys that do the YouTube channel like live like right near me. Like, oh, cool. Like the one guy lives across the train tracks, and the other guy like lives you know 15 minutes away. So, it, so that's good. I ran out my Dragonfall list with the modification of dropping the 8-point Doom Sigil because it didn't do anything. So that YouTube video should be out in about a week. Okay, yeah, go okay. to their channel, go watch it. I won't tell you how it ends, but that was the list I was running to kind of visually showcase you know, something that we had talked about here on the show last okay. episode. If you're interested in physically how I go about executing on that, I try and do just that on the YouTube channel. But, yeah, past that, that's where we're at. That's what we got going on. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had any Sigmar, so... All right. Because so, it's normally you only have to play me to get your kids in. <laughs> it's true. You or Dave or somebody who's willing to come up to your house. We're going to move on to events. Uh, Holy Havoc. We're going to recap that in Emperor Lies. That's going to be kind of our showcase discussion today. And then HantsCon 2 is out. Oh, my God. It's so exciting. Yeah. Even though it's so small, I'm just so thrilled to be able to go back and hang out with those guys. So the original PantsCon was a one-day event last year with a group of folks that we trusted to be reasonable about, you know, the COVID requirements, mask wearing, to just hang out and get some games in. Yeah, so fun. And this year, our friend Christian Ware is headed back to Australia. This is a little bit of our, you know, saying goodbye kind of an event. And we're trotting out a format that I have been advocating for years. The way that this is going to work, and this is why we're not doing the paint requirements, is... Everybody's going to write a list. Everybody's going to bring the models to, for that army. Everybody's also going to bring a cheat sheet on how to play that army. You know, key things to know, where and when it happens, all that stuff. All those armies will be kind of set to the side with the list. Every round, you will draw an opponent, and you will draw an army that you will be playing for that round. Yes! <laughs> been kind of a wide bandwidth of... What I've seen people suggesting that they're going to be bringing from pretty good kind of competitive things to, oh no, this is garbage. Uh, (laughs) Hello. No, Dan, yours is not, oh no, it's garbage. Oh, okay. That makes me feel I might win a game, man. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's going to pose a very interesting challenge. I obviously have quite the selection of things to pull from. I haven't decided what I'm going to be bringing to the venue for gaming purposes. (laughs) I'm really excited to see how this pans out. It's a number of us who are good friends with Christian and and want to wish him well on his adventures back to Australia. So sad that he's leaving. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting him. He's a cool guy. He is amazing. Mm -hmm. Good. So yeah, so that's what PantsCon 2 is. You know, we'll be talking about it in a future episode recapping the madness and adventure that ensued from what will hopefully be me drawing only bad armies and winning (laughs) and Dan drawing only very good armies and going, I don't know how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and this is first weekend of December, right? Yes. I think, yeah. Yeah, the 4th. So the week after Thanksgiving, we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll be down in Chicago, which is awesome. Please see above uh, statements about burning candles at multiple ends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Depticon is about three weeks away that we know in terms of signups. They talked about early December, so yep. we're thinking we're getting pretty close. Yeah, I don't so have we, any specifics. Uh, signups cool. are on December, early December? That's what it said on the website, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That was the Pretty latest thing I saw, so I'm... Assuming that's that's when it is. We had some sad news. Um, Ragnarok is not going to be held this year for whatever reasons, and that's fine. It's mm-hmm. all good. Just disappointing, and you know, it was something that I know a lot of people were looking forward to. So we'll just look to the future and see what else comes up because people are always coming up with good ideas and willing to take the time to organize and put together events. For any bold Midwestern players, the month of January is now largely open if you'd like to schedule something <laughs> not pushing here too hard if it's within reasonable you know, distance we would be uh, happy to support you there's time on the calendar <laughs> oh my gosh new year's resolution i'm going to run a well, Dan. No, no, no. That was a Brendan. That was on a Dan personal Con, statement. I, I don't that know. Was, this is a recorded endeavor, Doug. You got that right. <laughs> that, that was no, a general. Oh God, no. All right, I'm load a, it to YouTube, please. In a corner. <laughs> that Bear is. Con. Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah. So I think that's it, right? For events, I don't think we have anything else coming up. Yeah. LVO. Right. LVO's doing their uh, thing in the, the south. They're, uh, well, there's also LVO. Right, that's coming up in February, usually right. late January or early February. Yep, so that's getting on the calendar. And they have their uh, the thing New down in New Orleans in a yep. few weeks. That's three or four weeks away. Uh, Renegade, mm-hmm. but that's this coming weekend. So by the time you hear it, I, I don't know, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> the, we'll see. What uh, the Madison crew is putting together a one-dayer on December 4th as well. They do have a couple of spots, last I saw. So nice. if you are a Midwesterner who does want to get some games, also there. The Dias cast guys will be there as well. So if you want to oh, cool. say hello and shake their hands and say that you want to be on their YouTube channel. Always looking for players. Awesome. Sweet. I think that's it. Okay. That's all I can remember, or all I choose to remember. Oh, there un- you go. Unclear. Selected memory, as Cindy <laughs> says sometimes, yes. Okay, then, gentlemen, we are going to move on to our centerpiece discussion and talk about Holy Havoc 2021. Okay. I mean, what are we, a team? No, 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 we're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. Emperor Lies Time, gents, and you two attended a really coolio event down in Chicago called Holy Havoc. Yes. Yes, we did. Yes. So, for those of you who don't know or haven't listened to previous episodes in which we have covered Holy Havoc, Holy Havoc is an event that occurs in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, previously Yorkville, presently Naperville. 
Uh-huh. And the nature of the events is billed as a narrative. And that is primarily because tables are made to a very high standard. All of the tables have fundamentally unique rules to them. Yeah. They have a lot of house rules in Holy Wounds. You get a free mm. character called your warlord. The missions are non-standard. The missions are custom to the holy events. Alongside that, it's also a charity event where, you know, like a lot of the Age of Sigmar events that we attend, where there is a charity component. And so Steve and the holy team raise money for a Hesed House, which is the getting people into apartments and homes and, you know, off the street. So uh, on the front end, you know, we raised as a group over $4,000 for that charity. Yeah. So that's very exciting. That's so cool. I think uh, Steve said it helped four families get off, like, into a housing situation, which is awesome. That is... Yeah. Very cool. So it's relatively easy for us to go, you know, it's, you know, only an hour and a half drive. We've been there before. You know, we we know that community. But, Doug, this is your first holy event. Yes, actually. In our group chat. my first event, too. Yeah. And so in one of the group chats that we're in, you were kind of... I don't know if it was baited or bullied or strongly encouraged that this is an event that Doug would be interested in going to. <laughs> I was voluntold. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what was uh, your overall initial impression? So even before you got there, you know, what did you okay. expect going into this? Mm-hmm. So what I expected was, you know, beautiful tables. I had seen the pictures online. And, you know, it's kind of like when I went to Nova, which was my first convention in 2019 where it's like, I don't, I try not to have a lot of expectations. You know, I, it's just, I hear people talking about how great this thing is. And I just want to show up and be like, you know, dazzle me, (laughs) show me why this is fun. And it was spoiler alert. It was an absolute blast. So I expected really cool looking tables. When I hear a narrative event, usually, you know, I think of some wonky rules that are meant to entertain or something like that. And I made the mistake of thinking that narrative meant not the best lists, which is not true. Um, (laughs) But that's okay. Lesson learned. It's been well documented. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything specific you wanted my input on as far as like tables, missions, that kind of stuff? So we're going to end up talking kind of a, a game through game situation, but I just wanted to kind of lay the foundation for like where you were approaching it from. So this was my third Holy Havoc. Exactly what you talked about, the notion of, you know, narrative meaning people are going to take their foot off the gas and and do those kinds of things. I also learned that lesson at the first one. Yeah, everyone I talked to that, they're like, oh yeah, that first year I got dumpstered hard. I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) That's awesome. We all had that same experience. So in terms of like lessons learned from previous years, learn to not be afraid to take, you know, some mean stuff. But also to not be afraid to take a unit that like you really don't normally take under any sort of you know normal Absolutely. circumstance. You know this is an event where you're not necessarily going to feel like an idiot for taking something that's not super incredibly powerful. You're definitely going to want some things that have some good oomph yeah. to them. You want a shtick at least. You know, like my thing was paladins coming in from the sky. That was my main damage dealer. It was a one-trick pony list. It's a good trick. Yeah, just taking random stuff probably wouldn't as fun i guess kind of going into it i will say i did not nearly do enough prep work beforehand all the events that i've gone to before you know you read the packet and you're like okay cool i'll hang out and, and chat with my opponent beforehand but once i got there on friday night we actually showed up while steve was 
finishing setting up the tables and the enormity of like oh no like just kind of sunk in of <laughs> just like there's so many flipping rules there's every table is designed to like hope you brought a cup because you're gonna need it <laughs> and, <laughs> oh man okay. it was good i loved it it was a blast <laughs> yeah so one of the other lessons learned that that i've taken away in previous years is you have to have an army that can have some speed to it it's got to be able to move it's got to be able to get away from all of this stuff that causes so much damage (laughs) if you get stuck in a bad spot your unit's dead it like it's gone and we'll really talk about that in my game four you got to have some speed and you've got to have some ability to adapt to the situation because Mm -hmm. these tables and these missions are not like anything that you're normally used to playing you cannot play Mm -hmm. just a regular game of age of sigmar and expect to come out the other side okay Mm. Yes, and to that point, one of the things, and I didn't see it in the packet, but I did see it explained on the tables when we arrived, is this concept of holy wounds. So, for those of you who haven't been to the event, they have a new type of damage called holy wounds, which is just, you literally don't get a save against it, unless something specifically says it. So, it bypasses your ward save, everything like that, so when every terrain feature is just barfing out holy wounds... (laughs) Everything melts. Every single thing melts, and it's so cool. (laughs) Tell me about your first game, guys. What happened? Who did you play? Tell us about the table. Yeah. Yeah. That ends up being a critical element in all of this, right? You know, because in our normal tournament recaps, people just understand that there's between, you know, six and eight pieces of terrain. They're all reasonably spread out. You know, they all have the mysterious terrain rules, blah, 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 whatever. But it was this mission. This is who we were playing. But obviously, when we're doing the holy episodes... You need to be able to talk about the table you were on and what the table did and where all the bad places it took you. Yeah, so, <laughs> so talk to us about your game one table, all those things Brenda just mm-hmm. discussed. For us, Dave and I were playing, well, first our army list. So Dave was playing Iron Jaws. Mm-hmm. He had a Maw Crusher Mega Boss General who was rerolling runs and charges and had Destroyer. Mm-hmm. And it was all about the damage with that Maw Crusher. That was the goal. <laughs> Unit of 10 Brutes. A War Chancer and a unit of five hard boys. Oh, okay. Okay. I was playing Slaves of Darkness, Knights of the Empty Throne. So that was a unit of Varengard that had the you can't retreat from me and I pile in six inches combination of traits and artifacts. Cool, very good. Well, it was only a unit of three. Like, yeah. it could have been worse. A Chaos Sorcerer Lord on Manticore who over that the weekend so cool. became. That is so cool. Yeah, over the weekend took on the name Jeff. Um, <laughs> Jeff had Jeff. some late tournament heroics. Okay. Then I had a unit of 20 Marauders, a unit of 10 Warriors, and a unit of 9 Untamed Beasts. Okay. So that's what we had. Game 1, we were playing against David Griffin and Anthony Polcastro, mm-hmm. who had a combination Tempest Eye Cities list, and Anthony brought a filthy, filthy, filthy Hammers of Sigmar list, which had two units of two Fulminators, a unit of three Paladins, oh. a Knight Imperitans. <laughs> Just so, so, so filthy. Just we don't need friends. <laughs> un- unbelievably filthy. And we were playing on the Skaven Warpstone Extractor table. It's one of the coolest tables Steve has made. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorites. I have not had the chance to play on it before this moment in time, but it's, but it's one I've, I've had my eye on for the entirety since its conception. In this mission, your goal is to get as many units across the table as possible into your opponent's deployment zone. That's your main objective. You have a terrain objective of trying to hold the middle piece of terrain in many instances. Sometimes it's a little off to the side, but it's largely along the center line. Every table's a little bit different. And then 
you have a Warlord objective and you have a Warpstone objective that occurs over the course of the game. And in this yeah. one, you're trying to mine for Warpstone, and there are places on the table where you can do that. Okay. This table, though, if you are within range of it, of these different extractor points, on a 3-up, you gain fight when you die. Oh, wow. But on a 1, you take D3 holy wounds. For just being near it, every hero phase that yep. happens, it's just furious nonsense. But at the end of the game, the reactor explodes and does D6 holy wounds to every unit within 18 inches. 18? Oh my yeah. And, and these are not small pieces of terrain, mind you. Like It's the size of a dinner plate. So it's like the whole board erupts, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, largely. Yep. So this game, we got our faces pushed in. The filthy, filthy Stormcast of Anthony Polcastro charged up the table, insta-killed the Maw Crusher. Did he hit with all four Fulminators, or...? No. What Didn't killed? need to. Yeah. <laughs> the Fulminators, Dan. Yeah, that's what I mean. The Fulminators, right? Yeah, yeah. but there were four of them. Yeah, that because you said there were two units of two, yeah, right? not all of them got in. Oh, my God. Jeez. And he dropped some Annihilators down, did some uh. damage there... Effectively, oh. Dave's army was off the table in the second battle round, <laughs> and I was playing largely by myself for the <laughs> remainder of the game, where they easily had the main objective wrapped up because David Griffin's army was very fast and uh. could get across the board. Not that I didn't inflict some meaningful casualties along the way. Sure. Jeff took out some units, killed some heroes, you know, did some work, but he ultimately fell to the Fulminators as well. And I had a late-game gambit to try and get the terrain objective. Some fulminators moved up to charge, and I go, no problem, my unit of marauders will will redeploy. And then what I'll do is, you know, he's not going to make this 11-inch charge, because I rolled like a 5 or something (laughs) like that. I'm going to redeploy away, and then we have the bottom of 5, and I'm going to run them up next to the objective, and I'm just going to have more models in range even after the reactor detonates. Okay. Well, the Fulminators made an 11-inch charge. Um, it's awesome. And killed my Marauders, thus ending my Marauders' gambit. Uh, oh, man. Wow. Yeah, that list was disgusting. That's great. And it's not like I felt like... We definitely pulled some punches in terms of unit selection mm-hmm. and the way that we went about like some of the smaller decisions. Sure. But, oh, God. Like, it, we were just... Oh, that's, that's so we were just totally outmatched by the firepower. Of, and it was really the Stormcast half of the list that did us in. It was a really fun game. We went through a bottle of champagne and a bottle of pre-mixed brandy old-fashioned that I thought was going to last for day one. Uh, it was gone after game one. So, oh, gosh. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, so, Doug, you saw us, you know, at the end of that day. So... Yes. You, know, you, you were toasty. You're toast. definitely aware of, of how much we were moving through here. And Dave and I really don't drink at events normally. No, not but hardly at all. We decided to change some things up since we were doing the team name Bucks and Six. We were celebrating our championship, so I brought That's bottles fun. of champagne to every game. So and really, fun. it's only champagne in concept only. I got you. It's uh, bubbly. They were, they were $8.00. Okay. I don't know what it was, but I was asked the question, are you planning on drinking this? An alcoholic beverage with bubbles is all it was. Okay, whatever was in the bottle. That's great, man. Yeah, so... But, no, game... Okay, fast forward, game three. Brendan walks up, hey, you guys want some questionable champagne? And it's just like, (laughs) what do you answer to that? Like, questionable why? Questionable because you got it from a naked man in a trench coat behind the hotel? Is it questionable because it's old? Like... (laughs) 
Uh, it's questionable because it was eight dollars, and I told you that yes, you were all yes, in. You so. that for me, yes. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So that was our game one. Doug, you were playing with Jack from Rerolling Ones. Yep, a uh, great battle report channel. A lot of character and spunk. Jack's one of my best friends, and uh, I was so excited that he was able to. Because we got into the event very last minute. And so he was able to hop and jump down. It was so good to see him. I haven't seen him since I moved away about a year ago now. Yeah, you want me to talk about my game and our yeah, list and all that please. kind of stuff? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Our list, we thought that we were going to be super narrative snowflakes and do Stormcast with allies of Cities of Sigmar. Little did we know that that is basically the you know Honda Accord of armies and that everyone and their mom brought the same thing. So, so for my Stormcast, I went as Knights Excelsior. Basically, I had a big block of Liberators to kind of cap objectives, and then a unit of Annihilators and a unit of Decimators that I always put in the sky. And so Jack's list, he had some Vanguard Raptors. He was basically on shooting duty. Yep. And I was supposed to, you know, give a razzle-dazzle in melee. But I was really worried because I played like three test games with that 1k list leading up to the event. I did not roll a single charge when I dropped out of the sky until Holy Havoc. <laughs> so I just the whole time I was like, this list stinks. Like, oh my god, I'm, I hope that I can roll a 9 or 7 when I get there. Did great. That's our list anyway. So as far as the actual turn one or round one, you're paired against two awesome guys, a uh, guy named Travis and Matthew, who were fans of both of our channels. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had the most incredible army. It is a, it was a fully converted Eidneth, Deepkin, and Soulblight army to make vampires. And it was, I, I can send you guys some pictures if you want to throw it up on your social media but it's just mind-bogglingly cool every single model was converted and uh, it was amazing the table that we played on and kind of the way that i've been thinking about havoc since it's kind of had some time to like percolate in my brain is that every table is a third army on the table if that makes sense like Mm -hmm. it does its own thing and so in regards to that we played on the table called the monolith which as it sounds has a big towering monolith in the dead center Oh. When it's your yeah. hero phase. Yeah, I know this table. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When it's your hero phase, you pick a direction and then you roll 3d6 and the monolith moves that far of oh, that God. direction. When it touches anything, it does 1d6 holy wounds, so there's no saves. <laughs> but whatever unit it hits, you roll to see what happens. And, and basically, it's like trying to simulate like a chaos boon. You take damage, but you get a good blessing. So I think the blessing of Nurgle was like a re-roll wound rolls of one or something like that. I mean, it was just, okay. they're all the same, basically. But it was kind of like the chaos war shrine that you didn't want to touch. And so <laughs> that game was defined by the table. Because round one, we got the first round because we're a one-drop army collectively. And then move the table and... They deployed very tightly bound. I think their idea was to surge the Soul Blight stuff forward and then wait for turn three when the Deepkin's Tide is in effect and then he would kind of leapfrog and then mm. massacre stuff. Which is a great plan that did not survive contact with Oxygen. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, the first turn, this monolith, it was maybe a foot wide. It's an oval thing, so from its furthest point to furthest point, it's maybe a foot. Wow. And we just jammed that sucker so far up their nose like it was a COVID test. Like, I mean, it just <laughs> pinned them. And so uh-huh. 
we're kind of staring at the table. And it's like, well, we can't shoot anything because we literally cannot see the army. We have covered it in a monolith and sealed it in the far back corner. God. <laughs> and so everything from there was just kind of like, well, this is a good test mission to learn how Holy Havoc scoring works. And so it wasn't a full dead sweep, but that first action, they just didn't have the mobility. Like you said, Brennan, it, mobility is incredibly important to getting to all these objectives. And we just shut them down unknowingly. We didn't understand that. Mm. But yeah, we pinned them in there. And then they took out several of our units, but the Decimators versus anything in Soul Blight is a fun, fun matchup when you're rolling like your 47 dice and you just throw it out there. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, we were able to pretty handily do that one. I think we lost, so um, in Holy Havoc, there's multiple objectives, and you just keep track of who, which team won which of them. We tied for the actual table objective, the monolith itself, because we just kept throwing it back and forth at each other. (laughs) I think by round three, we both just agreed. We just kind of, we shook hands, not on who won, but we agreed that, like, this monolith is a huge pain in the butt. So we actually like chose to just throw it off to the way far side. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, after round two of them being pinned in their basic deployment zone, it's like, okay, you're not having fun. This is not fun. It's not working. It had nothing to do with the table or, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and that way he could come out for round three. He could do his deep kin thing. And he did bloody our nose. We killed their warlords, but they, got whatever that first warlord objective was i can't recall what it was but uh, you know i mean like we made it a game and so it was a wonderful time against uh, a beautiful army with some cool people so that was my round one we ended up uh, pulling the win great good job all right round two for us we got a random draw because here's the other way it works is it's not like a tournament where you have pairings right so you can do grudges every round if you'd like Mm, and yeah. you know you're able to pick your tables that you're on as long as they're available otherwise though you are kind of getting a random pairing you know someone picks the table that you're already on or you randomly pick a team that they're already on so we were playing on the daughters of cain table mm-hmm. where the center terrain piece you can do a sacrifice at the altar and then every unit within i think it's like 12 inches or something like that, or 18 inches, gets plus one of their attacks characteristic. Oh, wow. Cool. But, you know, you take, awesome. like, the unit that you sacrifice takes D3 plus one Holy Wounds, yep. and there is a terrain feature nearby that gives you an extra bit of red. So if you're playing mm-hmm. in the correct, like, little alley and canally on that particular table, <laughs> sure. you're plus one attack and an additional rend, which, oh, is, which is disgusting. <laughs> that is yeah, so cool. we were playing against Walter Duncan and Alex Langer, they had one of the lists was a Kraken Eater and a War Stomper. It's pretty good. Okay, right on. Yeah, and the other list was a Dankhold Trog Boss, a Trogoth Hag, and then a bunch of Stone Trogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. That's a neat list. In addition, there are two Warlords. So the nature of this mission was you had to hand out Warp Stone tokens. So you got 10. Yep. You had to hand out them to your units. Your warlord could not have any. Any unit that had a warpstone token could not fly and could not be teleported or put in the sky or anything like that. You had to give it to units that were on the table. Okay. Yeah. Your goal was to get as many warpstone tokens off of the table in your opponent's table edge as possible. Oh, okay. So you wanted to get off the board, literally. Right, you wanted to get off the board. From our side, oh, and the rest of it, you know, you still had the terrain. So for us, that was the altar. You had the warpstone mission, which was to do as many holy wounds as possible with, like, harnessing the raw energy of 
this giant piece of warp stone that was on the table. And then the warlord objective was something about killing other things. I can never remember the warlord objectives. Like, even, like, when I'm at the table, it always just ends up being, like, partway through and go, oh, we lost that one. Uh, (laughs) I think uh, round two for our warlords was you had to pick an enemy unit and your warlord could only kill that one or something Mm. like that. You had to do all the damage. You had to zero it. Yeah, it was something like that. I remember my warlord went on a suicide run for that reason. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and our warlords chose to warlord duel. That's what it was. That's what happened Uh, in our game. My warlord picked one of their warlords, and their warlord picked, you know, Dave's warlord. Sure. We had a warlord duel. It was all or nothing in that regards. We deployed my filthy, filthy Varengard list, and Dave's, (laughs) you know, Maw Crush and Mega Boss. We had them go first. Because knowing full well that they couldn't, you know, get their hands on us. So they moved up, and then we charged into them, and Dave triggered his super mega destroyer of death, mm-hmm. you know, artifact, thinking that, like, we could probably zero this Kraken Eater. No such luck. Oh. He, his save rolling was incredible. Like, it was one of those things that you just look at and you go, oh, well, uh... <laughs> Like, yeah, every single one of these fails is six damage, but, you know, oops. Yeah. I had a little bit more luck on my side where I held out, used the six-inch pylon for my Varengard Mm -hmm. to, you know, go beat up the War Stomper pylon again and go beat up the War Stomper a little bit more. He was still standing after the first combat phase, but we got them in the second battle round. The Kraken Eater took down... The Maw Crusher. Oh, okay. And in their second battle round, the trolls came in and beat up the Varengard. But here's the thing Knights of the Empty Throne, Varengard, very good. Because when they die, you can spend a command point. And on a five up, you get a new unit of three Varengard on the Mm -hmm. table. Right. And I just chucked a five down on the table. Perfect. The Varengard come in on the table. You know, we end up, you know, getting the priority into three. Yeah. Those Varengard go take down the Kraken Eater, and now there's no giants left on the table. Awesome. We're basically just trying to play keep away from the trolls, because as long as we can get stuff off the board, the troll movement isn't high enough to go achieve the things that the mission's calling for. So I had this unit of 10 Chaos Warriors that I very sneakily held and hid on the side of the very far sidest of the board possible. And, you know, I was running them behind terrain features, and it took till the bottom of three where my, you know, it was the top of three for me where I moved them really into my opponent's side of the board. Mm -hmm. One of them looks at me and he goes, I didn't even realize that unit was there. Oh, God. And so then he turns, like, all of his attention trying to get these chaos warriors (laughs) that are attempting to flee the board. Now, thankfully... Dave had one unit that had tokens, and he got that unit off the table. So we had two. We got two points there. But he he charges into the Chaos Warriors, and the Chaos Warriors fight furiously to just get away from this attack. They hold out. They eventually escape the board. You know, we end up with four tokens that way, and we just kind of pin in the rest of the stuff that has tokens so that we got the main objective. We held the table objective because my Marauders basically just stood there and just were a ton of models. Mm-hmm. We got the warp zone token objective by one wound. Yeah, it's all about it. It kept misfiring on my untamed beasts instead of attacking his units. 
which was very unfortunate. I think we got the Warlord objective, if I Perfect. remember correctly. Well, so well done, so we, we rebounded great. It was a super compelling game. And somewhere in the fourth battle round, I think, Alex, who was playing the Giants, turns to me. He's like, hey, I'm going up to the room. You know, does anybody want any beer or tequila or anything like <laughs> that? alcohol story. <laughs> and so, you know, like we've been drinking champagne at the table as well. And I go, you know what, Alex, if you're going to bring down a shot of tequila, like I'll have one with you. You know, listeners, uh, keep in your mind kind of what you perceive to be a shot of alcohol. About an ounce, ounce and a half, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know those, like, little plastic cups that you get at, like, hotels, you know, at the, like, intercontinental buffet? Yeah. They're, like, six-ounce cups, right? You know, I, that's kind of where we'd estimate this number at. Oh, no. It's about six ounces. This is not going to Alex comes ending. down with a clear <laughs> liquid, basically, that fills this six-ounce cup. And oh. I look at it, and I go... I thought we were taking shots, and he goes, yeah, go big or go home. And I'm like, I look at it, and I don't do shots, like, very well in many instances. Yeah. I'm looking at this, and I go, if I drink all of this in one go, I'm going to see my Portillo's lunch again. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But there's a part of me that goes, well, I can't insult this man. I have to drink this whole thing in one go. God. And I do, and it goes fine. And then I'm standing there somewhere, like, at the end of four, start of five, and, like, the world starts moving <laughs> on me. <laughs> I was feeling great. Yeah. Oh, like, first off, it went down way smoother than I thought it was going to go. I demanded that they give me the brand of tequila that that was. Well, they got the silver version of what I normally buy. I normally buy the gold of that. Okay. So now I have to expand the tequila purchases I'm making. But I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> I hit like this real sweet spot where I like where I suddenly knew all of my rules, you know, <laughs> with absolutely unerring clarity. Part of me is concerned that like now that I know that that state exists, that I have to try and find it for every single game for five games going forward. <laughs> Friended. But it's so a yeah, great so ending to a great game, man. We had a blast. Uh, that was one of my absolute favorite games over the weekend. Dave got to actually play with his army this time around. That was fun, and that was exciting. It was a cool table. Great. Their army was an absolute uphill battle. So, you know, Doug, as you were talking about people not taking their foot off the gas, Elicit Includes Two Giants is <laughs> absolutely one of the more difficult hills to climb. Yeah. What about you for game two, Doug? So we played against Vince and Tom from Warhammer Weekly. Oh, those nerds. I know, I know, plebes. They wanted my autograph, and I pitied them, and I was like, you know what? Now we can just play a game instead. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we had a great time. So actually, we had played a game with them the night before because they were teaching us how scoring at holy events works. I'm just going to be honest with you. We just got straight up dumpstered. We basically tried our normal thing. The plan didn't work quite as well because my whole shtick is setting paladins up in the sky. Well, if I do that, I can't give them... A warpstone token and so we kind of leaned heavily by having jack cities of sigmar stuff take them and i was like okay i'll play defense and i'll drop down at certain locations and, and try to basically block you know their army's attempt to intercept them from crushing you before you get across the table was kind of what i'm thinking and uh i'm just gonna go ahead and say that that didn't happen <laughs> the, the lumineth archers blew oh. me off the table and then vince's fulminators came in and mulched through 10 liberators in a turn. I went to go use the restroom just to clean up a little bit. And when I got back, they were all just kind of like sitting around the table, just kind of chatting. And they were like, so we're going to call it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Jeez. But I was like, you know what? 
I'm cool with that. I just want to go take a shower and relax. <laughs> and so it was a very short game, but you know, I mean, honestly, like I said, it, me and Jack were talking about it later. It's like we didn't know what the event was, and so we didn't bring lists that were prepared to deal with anything like that. So we just we basically just took our stuff off the table. <laughs> I get it. But it was Been there. Time though. I mean, you know, it's hanging out with buddies and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was incredibly fun. It was just you're looking at it. And you're like, well, they brought every broken thing in their respective armies and we've got you know a special snowflake list uh, this is not good for us <laughs> okay yeah it happens it happens yeah don't worry doug we avenged you later oh yeah did you taking care of business <laughs> it's time for game three gents mm-hmm. so i played against some plebe who uh his team name was like buck sucks or something like that i don't know <laughs> Oh, wait. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, we'll, yeah. uh, <laughs> I know this guy. I know this guy, Doug. I, you don't even have to say anymore. He's a real... I can't use that word on this show. So, yeah, I know this guy. Some Melnick guy from Brown Deer, I think it is. Yeah. No. He says he's from Chicago, but he's yeah. not. No, no, exactly. He's from Wisconsin. <laughs> so here's actually another joke about that. So we were at Wapaka a number of years ago. My wallet has a, you know, like the Blackhawks hockey team logo on it. And the waitress is taking our orders and, you know, she's talking to us and she asks for ID and, you know, I show her. Part of that, she sees that I have Blackhawks logo on my wallet. And she goes, oh, are you from Chicago? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And Bryce dives in and goes, no, he's actually from Iowa and he's lying to you. (laughs) (laughs) And this waitress believes him and (laughs) refuses to interact with me except for the absolute bare minimum of what the job requires for the rest of the time over there. Thanks, Bryce. (laughs) Yeah, so, but game three, we grudged Doug and Jack. We were playing on the... Temple of Sotek table, which is a uh-huh. Seraphon forest theme. There are two elements on the table. One is an optional take holy wounds, but teleport. One is a take holy wounds or mandatory teleports. So thankfully, in our three games, the tables have been pretty not very killy. In terms of this mission, you still have the terrain objective, which is the one that is a mandatory either take you know, holy wounds or teleport. Obviously, being close to that is either a death sentence and or a situation in which you end up somewhere where you don't want to go. So now this teleport, help me understand how that works. Like, where do you end up? Anywhere else on the board more than nine inches from enemy models. So so if there are enemy models on that piece of terrain, you can't go back. But, you know, if it's only you, then you just pick up and set back down okay. again. Right? You know, yep. game the system. So that one was the Hunger. He was given... Was this Warlords doing damage and then the other... Yeah, this was pick a unit and you're trying to track how much damage they do. David had the Brutes and we had the Vanguard Raptors. Mm. And then it was... The other one was a not that unit also doing damage tracking. Yeah. Okay. And then the Warp Stone was you just had to control it throughout the game. Okay. And Doug, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, we outdropped you guys. We set up in a way where we went, okay, cool. You'll get your shots off with the Raptors. You know, that'll do whatever damage that's gonna do. But then we're gonna try and go whole hog across the table and just try and do as much damage as possible on their side of the table. Doug dropped down the five decimators, made the charge, and was attacking with 
seven attacks apiece on three of the guys and eight attacks apiece on Whoa. the champion and then a star soul maze. And that nuked, <laughs> absolutely obliterated my unit of marauders. Oh. Like, stood no chance. Um, it was fun. Yeah, just started the game, just scooped it up. And in my head, I went, okay, we can do this too. <laughs> Time for a little Varengard love. Yeah, so bottom of one, I end up teleporting the Varengard across the table. Dave ends up just moving the Maw Crusher up to just bowling ball his way through enemy lines. Varengard make the long charge. The Maw Crusher stomps on a bunch of things, stomps on some more things, punches some things. Then Varengard pile and fight twice, killed a bunch of Doug's heroes, killed a bunch of dudes. Ugh. It was gruesome, especially Boy. when we double turned into two oh, and yeah. just went, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so that's what happened from my side of the table. Yeah, pretty much accurate. I had a fun moment where, you know, me and Jack were talking and we were like, you know, kind of assessing what's the biggest threat on the table. And he's like, okay, the Maw Crusher and I don't like Marauders. Jack has a thing where he doesn't like Marauders because they swing above their weight class. Mm. And so that's why he told me to go after the Marauders. So I was like, okay, I can take care of that. I think it was round two or three when the Maw Crusher came to our far right side. He was like, okay, I got the Maw Crusher, no problem. You know, the Raptors will shoot it out of the sky, and then I'll have a whole bunch of points because I yeah, have so many wounds. And then, like, the next turn, I'm like, hey, Jack, why is there still a Maw Crusher over there? Like, shut up. I'll get it in the charge phase. And the charge phase comes. Hey, Jack, why is there still a Maw Crusher over there? <laughs> well, you know, the shooting didn't do so good, but, you know, the Griff Knights, they'll take it out in melee. And then melee happens. Hey, Jack, <laughs> why is there still a Maw Crusher over there? It's, like, still, like, up in our deployment zone now. It was just, he told me that he didn't have great success with the shooting, but I couldn't hear over there. I was, me and you were on the other side of the table t- chatting. So between the Maw Crusher on our far right and your Varengard popping up in our deployment zone on our far left, we basically just got mulched into oblivion. Good game. <laughs> pretty accurate but then for that our two teams and some of the other the other players went out for dinner together and you know, we yep. went to you know my favorite wings place you know is basically just five minutes on the other side of a bunch of buildings away from the hotel and we had a good time you know we all had oh, some yeah. laughs and i don't know how jack got served as much alcohol as he did <laughs> and how they served it in the way that they did because he was drinking white claws and white claws come in cans Jack was being brought pint glasses of White Claws yep. at the table, and I don't know how he finagled that. I've never seen that before. He has a way. I don't know. Yeah, it, uh, it, The same thing happened at Nova. I was like, dude, you drank a bucket of tequila. How are you standing upright? And he's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> there was no ice. It was just full pint glasses of White Claw. He was definitely feeling something good as we were leaving. The... I am I'm definitely perceiving a theme here. Hmm. Of what really was going on this weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just straight up debauchery. I mean, we, yes. we went through two bottles of champagne in our game three, Doug and Jack. That went well. And then David Griffin partway through came around to the table and, and brought me and Dave beers for keeping him appropriately liquored up for the morning. Because the bar didn't open until like 5.30 or something oh, like that. God. Which... You know, up here in Wisconsin is a travesty. That was day one, right? Uh, yeah. One note I did want to add as a funny anecdote. So at the beginning of the day, Jack wasn't around, like when the round one was about to start. And so I was telling Brendan the story. I'm just, I'm like, stand there at the table, don't have a partner, feeling real <laughs> embarrassed and awkward. And when I woke up in the morning, the last text that he had sent 
to the group of friends that I'm a part of with him was, hey, I hooked up with some girl in Chicago, and it was like at 2 in the morning, and I was like, oh my god, do I have a partner for this event? (laughs) And then he rolls in at like the last possible second. It was pretty glorious. He did good. (laughs) Man, oh man. You were telling me you had to bust out your YouTube sensation charm in the hopes that you weren't going to be penalized for not having your opponents arrive on time. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, you, you do the thing that I do where you give people private shows from time to time. and Yeah. Jeez. Sounds like a great time. Did you get into any shenanigans after dinner? I know Jack did, but... I'm an introvert. I needed to go recharge. I, I just needed to go be alone for a little bit. <laughs> okay. uh, so I just kind of went back to the hotel and I like, took a shower and just chilled and chatted with my wife. Well, thanks, gents, for day one recap and what we're going to do doug is we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we will come back with day two and the rest of the show we'll be right back here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me listeners we are back for the exciting alcohol drenched day two of of holy havoc Day two is the uh, recovering hangover okay. drenched. Yeah. All right. <laughs> See, I wasn't hungover. I felt great the whole time. Oh, of course. <laughs> which I'm going to level with you. Terrifies. This is so weird for me listening to all these alcohol stories because this is something we never do on this show. We never like. You've seen me really drink heavily only one time, yeah. and that was in that doubles game that we played. I think to end 2.0, yeah. where I brought down a bottle of Honey Jack and a two liter <laughs> of ginger ale. Yes. And oh my gosh. I went through. <laughs> half of it yes. myself uh, <laughs> i had no idea of the potential there i've got some real not safe for the show stories okay. <laughs> so with that let's move on let's to talk about game four <laughs> let's see yeah, let's do that yeah. so who wants to go first on that i was going first doug oh, yeah. you can take over control for day two so day two, the mission was called the trade, and so the idea here is... So you're trying to get units into a deployment zone on your opponent's yes. side of the table. It's a 6 by 24 space that's, you know, you roll a D3 after deployment, and it tells you which one you have to get your units into at the end of the game. And only at the end of the game does that scoring occur. Mm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And we played against a gentleman who run Nashcon, Anthony, and I'm blanking on his name. And David. David Griffin. David, Our yes. round one opponents, yeah. And they were awesome. Same deal as you, round one. Four Fulminators is no joke. But we actually did pretty good. This was an interesting one because we played on that table. You see a lot of pictures of Havoc with this table. It's like the floating islands. Mm-hmm. Basically what it is, it's just a bunch of floating islands. There are some modifications to movement to help kind of make sure no one gets stuck at the bottom of the table. Like they basically, if you go up a stairway, you ignore vertical movement distance so that you can actually get up them (laughs) as opposed to being a speed four brute, just kind of like mosey in the entire game. But this one was interesting because if you hold the piece of terrain in the center of the board, you can basically do a prayer to Sigmar, roll two dice on a seven up. You can pick any enemy unit anywhere on the table, no line of sight required and do D six holy wounds. Ooh. Wow. And we held that objective, I think until the last round, we were essentially tabled. The first round started off good. We took out, uh, I had Annihilators come down on David Cities of Sigmar stuff, and I just straight fire. I think I was using the cubic shenanigans dice. Yes. <laughs> I, I rolled a 12. We didn't tell that story, yeah. You handed me before the game began 
two cubic shenanigans dice and immediately I rolled a 12 with them. Sweet. <laughs> oh, those dice were kicking my butt. Left, oh, I right, love and center. it. I love to hear uh, that, man. That's I'm crazy. glad for Doug that they were a little bit loaded, it seems. But boy, <laughs> there were some spots where I went, you know, this was entirely in my power to prevent this situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically, my thing with the Annihilators that I love to do was obviously because I had an Imperitant, you can bring them down within seven mm-hmm. instead of nothing. So this one, the Warlord wanted to kill the most things. Okay, he just wanted to go nuts, whole hog, whoever's combined Warlord kills winner. And so I charged David's Warlord and threw all 12 of the mortal wounds into that. And then... When it came to attack, I actually split the attacks and basically was able to take out a sorcerer and his warlord round one. Whoa. Actually, I think a sorcerer may have had one wound left, but basically she died because of a miscast later on. <laughs> so it didn't do a whole lot. Decimators came down, but again, because of the nature of the board, they went where they wherever they come down, that's where they have to stay. They just don't have the movement to go anywhere else. And so... I kind of use them as a very expensive screen to kind of keep the fulminators off of the center objective. And that's all they did. They just got eviscerated. Liberators were killed by the Celestin Prime. They were the main ones who were guarding the objective in the center. I think between all the teleports, we got two units. My Warlord was one of the units who made it off of the enemy, you know, board edge. And... I think that was the only one we got. They had a whole bunch. We got absolutely steamrolled because they had plenty of time to delete our entire army and then shimmy over to the side and get everyone on the far edge. So I think we controlled the terrain table objective and then lost everything else. Okay. Oof. So there's one other element about Game 4 that Doug forgot to mention was you lost your artifact. We didn't remember them the first three games, and so when Steve was like, you don't have any artifacts, me and Jack just kind of looked at each other and shrugged. <laughs> so, I say this because it'll it'll become important later. You know, losing the Destroyer on the Maw Crusher, eh, whatever. Losing the six-inch pile and on the Varengard just means that I have to play them just like regular Varengard instead. Okay. Like, oh no, I merely know how to do that. But we played game four against your round one opponents, the oh, yeah. Crimson Fleet, the Vampirates. And yep. the table we went to is one of the tables that is notorious for the amount of damage it does. Yes. We went to the Oak of Ages table. In years past, it has been known as being a very killy table. I've played on it before. It was a killy table then. It's a killy table now. Well, they added an element to the board that is mobile and... Even more killy, doing effectively with good placement an automatic 2d3 plus 2 holy wounds to a given unit of your choosing (laughs) in all of your turns. The tree in the middle on a 3-up explodes and does d3 plus 1 holy wounds to every unit within 18 inches. Mm. This mobile piece can go anywhere as long as it moves at least 10 inches from its previous location and is within 18 inches of the tree. So... That area, pretty reliably, is going to be, over the course of an entire battle round, 4d3 plus 4 holy wounds to a unit, potentially. The terrain objective on that table is the tree, so you have to get close to it to score it. The main objective is the same. The warpstone objective is, it appears in some location, you have to go get a hold of it. So you have to have some level of mobility. On this table, though, there's also a piece of terrain that you can teleport from to a different location 
and I'm like a three up, you take D3 Holy Wounds. Okay. So they rolled for picking of sides, and they obviously picked the side with the teleporting piece of terrain, as you should. Yes. And this is where experience at a holy event comes into play. Dave and I, this is our third. After we read the mission, the next thing we read was, what does the table do? And Dave and I looked at the math and went, no, thank you. And put our armies as far to the sides as humanly possible outside of range of most of the damage. They were also a fellow one-drop army, so with them picking sides, they deployed their whole army. They kind of bunched their army up. So yeah, they had choice, and I thought for sure they were going to make us go first. Thought for sure. Well, they choose to go first. So the tree pops off, does a bunch of holy wounds, and they're like, wow, that was rough. You know, they move the element to do, you know, some holy wounds to, to our guys, but we're so spaced out and so far in the corners that we can't necessarily do enough damage to, to a lot of things. You know, like we do take some damage, but it's not end of the world. Moves over to bottom of one. Oh, and there's a Leviathan on the table. The Leviathan, you know, took a bunch of holy wounds, moved up. Okay, keep that in mind. Bottom of one, tree pops off again. Leviathan takes a bunch of holy wounds. It kills the necromancer. It kills, you know, another hero. It wipes Ooh. another unit. It brings the Black Knights down to, like, two. It's just doing damage. So then then we move the mobile piece over, and it can go in a location that is basically able to encompass almost their entire army oh. to be doing holy wounds. <laughs> These poor guys. <laughs> so where, Doug, you had some kindness to take your foot off the gas. Like, I'm not wired that way. No, it is not in his uh, nature. I can certify this. Yeah. So... <laughs> Dave and I played the whole like rest of the game. You know, we were teleporting stuff up to their side of the table, keeping it out of range of 18 of the tree, you know, knowing full well that like we'll have to just towards the end of the game just scoot everybody over and get them in the zone. Zombies popped up. Jeff killed a whole unit of 20 zombies on his own through his spell and then in combat. And then the other unit of 20, the Varengard took care of and my warlord took care of. And we just had him tabled at the end mm. of the game. It was one of those things where at the end of the game, as I was kind of like, you know, taking a moment to collect my thoughts, I turned to Dave and I go, man, I feel really bad. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, why? I said, they did not understand the math. Yeah. The Leviathan just got killed by existing and existing too close to the wrong things. Because like, as we were sitting there, Dave and I kind of agreed. We were like, we really don't have anything that's going to be able to really deal with the Leviathan very well. Mm. The table won us that game. Well, you little know, help from your yeah. friends. As you were talking about, it's a third player in the endeavor. Something it, is. That, it absolutely is. Something yeah. that as you're kind of walking around to holy events, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, I won or I lost. The, the one thing that you'll hear that you won't hear at any other event is the table won that game. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and not even necessarily for either player. I've seen both teams get blanked 0-0 because the table has just removed yep. both armies. And <laughs> the table won that game for us. We were able to out-mobile the table mm. and play in the places that we could to be able to get effectively what we needed to win that game. Awesome. But it was so cool to see Travis's army in person. So he's been posting in Meph's Discord for months about all of this work that he's been doing. The pictures were great. To see it in person was really fantastic. Neat. It's super that's, unique. That's awesome. It was incredibly well done. Like it's the it's the exact kind of hobby that Steve is looking for from mm. these events yep. where you go and take the time to be creative and do a creative thing and you get to play on a table that matches your level of hobby input for, for folks like that. Sure. You know, this is an event where like 
I don't consider myself to be a bad painter by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. but this is a room where I consistently feel largely not good enough. <laughs> How about your game five? Oh, yeah, uh, my game five, let's see here, got it pulled up. We actually played against the hosts of the combat phase, which is in their podcast. It mm-hmm. is really awesome. Kenny Lowell and uh, I believe yeah. Sean is his name. I, you know, honestly, by this point, I, my brain was fried. I was exhausted. We played on a table. And if you can imagine looking down at a 6 by 4 table, the entire left half of it is ice. And the way that that works mm. is if you're standing on the ice at the end of the round, every unit takes D3 holy wounds. You just roll once and every unit, friend or foe, takes that much damage. Once per game, you can bring a dead unit back to life. Just because. Just because the table lets you. And there's no limit on the unit. It can be any unit. Yep. Not battle line, nothing like that. And then the last little piece of it is, on the far, far left side are two what are supposed to be like shrines to dragon ogres. And basically your army gets a free dragon ogre. The only rule with them is you can't fight the other dragon ogre with them. Because that would be no fun. That's just rock'em sock'em robots. So... Basically, the way that that game went, that one was very tight. Essentially, I, I you know I did my shtick where I brought a whole bunch of paladins down. Basically, it just gave me another missile. So I brought annihilators down, charged them in, and then knowing that they were going to die, and then just did it again. Yeah. <laughs> a couple important things to note about the the mission is that you don't actually start with your general on your side of the table. He is quote-unquote captured, which means in the dead center of your opponent's side of the board, each of you, your players and your team puts their general there. And if you at any point get within 12 inches of them, they're free. And so then you can start using their rules. And so I didn't have the Lord Imperitance drop outside of seven ability. And then what else was there? Your warlord basically wants to pick another enemy warlord, and that's the only person he wants to fight. I didn't have that work for me. I don't. I didn't hear about anybody actually getting a chance to do that one, which was a bummer. We had the fortune of getting our warlords free, and the opponent did not. So that was a point in our favor. The other thing is, is that your warlord is poisoned. And what that means is every single turn they take D6 Holy Wounds. Oh, God. And depending on which round they die in, you get a certain number of victory points. And so <laughs> the Cities of Sigmar hero died like turn one. The earlier they die, the more points you get. Because the, the narrative here, if, in case you're curious, is that you, your free model that you got, your warlord, is different than your general. And so your warlord is trying to usurp control, and so he's the one who poisoned the general. And so the sooner the general dies, the sooner he takes control. So that's why you get rewarded for your hero dying first. We basically ended up tying on that objective of when your heroes die. And then because we rescued ours and they didn't get theirs, that kind of set us off a little bit. And then, I'm not going to lie to you, the third warp stone objective was you divide the table into three parts, and roll a die on a one through three, you have to place a warpstone token on an enemy unit. On a four through six, you place it on one of your units. At the end of the game, whoever has the most warpstone tokens wins. Oh, it's so random. God. It is brutal. Basically, we did a whole lot of rolling and a whole lot of giving them objective points. Uh, oh. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, when it comes on to one of our units, you know, this Stormcast, so it's like five man units, they get deleted really easily, as opposed to. You know, every time we put a Warpstone token on a unit of 20 Graveguard, that's a much taller order to chew through in some ways. So it, it was just an interesting one. We ended up losing, but we had a, a fantastic game. I will say in terms of, you know, having the best game of, like, chance to win and, and kind of ebb and flow, that was definitely 
the most balanced of them all. Yeah, did I miss anything, Brennan, as far as the rules go? That was the big thing, was that your general is, is trapped on the other side of the table. Yeah, the Warlord mission was your Warlord could only fight another Warlord, and then yes, yeah, you couldn't allocate attacks to anything other than the Warlord. Once the Warlord that you had picked was dead, then you could only fight units that had Warpstone tokens associated mm, yes. with them. So mm. I think that was it for the mission. For five, we played Vince and Tom, yeah. and we didn't necessarily like go out and intend to. You know, we didn't have anybody that we grudged. There wasn't a table that like we were really super dying to to play on at that moment in time. So our name got called, and I saw who was next was Vince and Tom, and I turned to them and I go, "Hey, you guys want to play us on table five? And Vince goes, "Yeah, that's fine." And so we ended up playing. Vince and Tom. Now, in one of the group chats that you and I are in, Doug, Tom was bragging that they had not dropped any points to this moment in time. I took that personally. So, <laughs> as I am in self-appointed arbiter of justice, and the universe needs balance. <laughs> yeah, of course. In this game... With your foot on the scale, just so you know. Yeah, right. The, <laughs> in this game, I would say their list was definitely better than ours, right? You know, the nature of what they have was, was pretty good. But all I got to do is snag some points off of them to keep them from a Mm -hmm. perfect weekend. That's all we got to do. You know, we'll try and win. And really, this is Tom's fault why they didn't get all their points. If, like, you really want to look at it, it was his fault, not anybody else's. Yeah, Yeah, Vince is perfect. (laughs) Yeah, Vince played that game perfectly. (laughs) I took my Warlord on a... I don't want to say it was like a fool's gambit, but, like, I went and tried to chuck a Hail Mary to try and get the, the guys out of prison. Didn't totally make it. My... Four up ward save just ends up evaporating on me. Oh. My so my warlord ended up being a three up unrendable with a four up ward, and Vince's warlord was specced exactly the same as mine and just toasted mine. Oh. Bummer there, but I've got my ten chaos warriors. They're gonna go hold the terrain objective. And so like in terms of the poisoning rolls, Dave and I were never gonna get a ton of like we were never gonna get full points, basically. Mm. Because yeah. one, his was a Maw Crusher, and mine was 15 Wounds of Varengard. D6 Holy Wounds is not going to kill them top of one. Vince's ah. hero could die, though, top of one. It didn't, though. So they were able to free their stuff in the bottom of one. He charges into my Untamed Beast with his general, and I don't do enough damage to kill his general back. The Phoenix charges in to combat with the Brutes and makes contact with Jeff. This is where Jeff's heroics are going to come into play. Jeff, Jeff the Chaos the Lord Chaos, on The Chaos, Lord on Man- the Chaos Sorcerer Lord on Manticore. Okay. Please use his full title. Yeah, so Jeff. <laughs> yeah. And so sorcerers pretty historically don't have any variety throughout the game, really never do enough. They are there to cast spells. They are there to, you know, do buffs. They are there to, you know, just kind of exist. And when they get into combat, like, you look up their profile and you go... Meh. Jeff ends up killing Tom's general in battle rounds yes. two, making him worth so four great. points. However, the Phoenix has a dice roll, and Tom really should have failed this dice roll if he wanted to get as many points as possible. Because obviously, a Phoenix is not going to die from poisoning, mm. you know, in the first battle round. Summons the Phoenix. You know, the summon the the Phoenix doesn't die, and it comes back on full health. And then eventually, you know, Jeff ends up chipping away at it, but it, it ends up costing them you know, effectively winning that mission set. So Dave and I ended up getting eight points because we died in the second battle round. Mm. Yes. Vince's general died in the second battle round for four points. Tom's general died in the third battle round oh. for three points. You know, number one there, forced three-point drop. We ended up holding out the terrain objective throughout the course of the game. The Chaos Warriors just staunchly stood there hiding behind a rock, you know, basically <laughs> for the entirety of the game. 
They got the warlord objectives. You know, their warlords killed our warlords. Mm -hmm. You know, fine. We're both able to achieve the main objective because we both got our generals out. They ended up getting the warpstone objective because we had a very similar situation that Doug had where they just ended up with a gazillion of them. Mm -hmm. And we were like, we have four. And we were like, so you guys win that one. But it was a fun game and I achieved the mission of keeping them from being perfect, which actually ended up being important when it comes down to, you know, like the awards. Mm -hmm. Because overall, Vince and Tom had the points to win best paint, but you know, you can only walk away with one award. So they had the points where they won best paint, but bumped the second because they had another yes. award they were going to win. Yeah. They ended up second on battle. True and honest to goodness, second on battle because Isaiah and Rebecca went full clean sheet all the way across the board. Oh. Dropped no points on the entire weekend. Wow. No surprise. Right. And then they got the Holy Paragons award, which is like overall, but it's a subjective overall. I was very proud because it kept them from getting first place all the way across the board. Mission accomplished, hang the banners. That's you know, great. as a graduate of Purdue, you know, sometimes we have to play spoiler maker. Yeah. And ruin some people's seasons for no reason other than we hate the universe. Awesomeness. As a result of awards, David Griffin won the Best Warlord, mm -hmm. and it was this beautiful Joseph Bugman on a Stormcast chariot with oh. a bunch of Hellstorm missiles like off the side. It was super well painted. It was just a bunch of nonsense. It looked incredible. They won Best Painted because Vince and Tom had won another award, but... That was a second place that I'd, I'm sure they feel pretty good about. Best Sports was actually a tie for first, and there was a dice-off between, you know, the undefeated, undisputed sportsmanship champ, Patrick Brindelson. Uh, some guys where this was actually their first uh, oh, nice. Age of Sigmar event. Oh, great. So, you know, excellent, great. fantastic for them. That's great. The Vampirates ended up winning Player's Choice. So that was super exciting for them. That was really cool to see. I know they were absolutely thrilled by it. So oh, yeah. That's wonderful. And then obviously there was some fair few raffle stuff to be won. Yeah, that was Holy Havoc. You know, yeah. yeah, Doug, do you have any closing thoughts? Obviously, you know, you've gone through the whole weekend. You know, you had whatever your expectations were, right? You know, you learned, yeah. number one, the... You don't have to take your foot all the way off the gas to, you know, in terms of list composition. So what did you think? You know, what sort of like summary thoughts did you have of the weekend, the events? I know you've said to us that you're definitely coming back and you and Jack have big plans. So I'd like to just get your ideas as this is kind of being your introduction to number one, kind of the, the Midwest yeah, absolutely. scene and havoc in general and all that. For me, I would say more so than any event that I have ever been to event is not the same as the experience so like you can read the packet and look at the missions but that is so like secondary to the experience that you get when you get there i've never been at an event that is as large as it was that was as friendly if that makes sense like you know at nova there's more people but it's a little bit more impersonal because you can't possibly know everybody and if you go to local one day events it's fine sometimes someone drinks a little too much and gets a little salty whatever but this is like the amount of joy per capita <laughs> is yeah. unreasonable it's just so freaking cool i had an absolute blast it was incredible and i love the fact that like there was wonky crazy rules and not i didn't hear a single complaint like i mean people josh joshed about like you know they deleted my arm of that but like no one got surly because i bought a reroll you know because mm. it's, it's for fun and that kind of stuff so i thought it was terrific i had an absolute blast i would say preparation as much as I just talked about how you can't understand the event by reading its packet, I wish I had read its packet a heck of a lot more. <laughs>
because there's just a lot of, to take in when you talk about your mission objectives, because every single round that we mentioned has five distinct objectives, plus the table rules, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, no, I had an absolute blast. It was honestly, when I think of narrative events, it was exactly it. It's not like a linear narrative story, but collectively over the time, you know, it tells the story of your warlord usurping control from your general and just does so in a way that facilitates crazy wonky stories that you can talk about for years. And it's like, what more could you possibly want from an event than that? Thank you. Thank you both. That is, that's inspiring, man, to try to think about going next year. So I think maybe you and Nick should team up a little. I was just thinking of. So Dave and I were actually joking about this a little bit because there's so many rules and so many things that interact. This will either be a situation where the two of you like really do very well because there's just so much craziness going on that Nick just kind of chaos savants his way into a very (laughs) successful result or it'll just bog you guys down so much that it'll be the slowest games you've ever played in your life. Uh, (laughs) Now the rounds are a little bit longer and that actually ends up being okay because at the start of every round, I think you should very judiciously spend about a half hour understanding the mission and understanding the table Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of where everything is and then playing the game. So that way you're not constantly like interrupting yourself, trying to go like, wait, what does that piece of terrain do again? Mm -hmm. So how does this mission work? Spend the time, get it straight. You know, and to your point, Doug, this is one of the uh, events where reading the pack thoroughly is more important than anything else. If you have any sort of like desire to have a level of of success that you'd like to be measured in the win and loss column. If you don't care, you know, like whatever, but if walking away with some amount of points is important to you, because like you end up getting all of the missions in the original pack, you know, so you can build your list to be successful in all of them. Like you're allowed to do that. Well, thanks guys. Very, very cool. We'll wait and see what happens next year. So we're going to move master. Yeah, we're going to quiz you a little bit on a, a couple of questions. This isn't okay. this or that yet, but just some general things that I know I have a curiosity about. You know, who is Doug? <laughs> what is Doug? So yes. <laughs> my real question is what kind of led you or inspired you to start your lore YouTube channel? Just doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I tell people this a lot because it kind of it disarms them a little bit. My mother told me growing up how special I'm not. And what, what this means, I know it sounds terrible, but hear me out. What it means is if you're interested in something, someone else probably is too. And if you have a question about something, somebody else is probably wondering the same thing. And so the whole impetus was Fantasy Battles had, was blown up quite literally. There was this new game out that I thought was really cool and had awesome looking models and I got it for 75% off sale at my local game store because nobody wanted it called Age of Sigmar. And so I looked and I saw that nobody was talking about it online in a meaningful way. We'll call it that. There was a lot of, oh, anger, but nobody was like, hey, this is a cool thing that I like. And so again, going with the premise that I'm not special, I just started putting videos out. And I think it really started when Fleshier Court's book, because that was like one of the first books that looked at a pre-existing set of models. I mean, I think the Seraphon was the first one, but I, I really got interested in the Fleshier Courts. And so I just started putting videos out. I lived at the time in a crappy house with a murder basement, and that's where I recorded stuff. Yeah. Uh, I call it the murder basement because when we moved in, like... 
you move into the bottom and there's a rolled up tarp and two bottles of bleach in the corner. And you're like, okay, well, someone clearly died here. Yeah. And that's all it was. Uh, it was just, you know, you ask why I started the channel. It's because I thought something was cool and nobody was talking about it. Mama always said, logic, there's other people who are interested in it. And so I just started the conversation. Great. That's wonderful. The next question I have then is kind of priorities for you. And I listed okay. a few things. First would be competitive events. And the next would be narrative events. And then the next one is lore and general hobby. So which one of those is most important? Which would you like to try that you haven't more of? Or, you know, how do those three things kind of vie for your time? It's probably easier to go like least important to most competitive stuff. I could not conceivably care less. It's really funny when I play against people at events. Like it wasn't. It didn't happen to have it because everyone was so chill and cool. But when I used to do one dayers up in the Pacific Northwest, people would be like, "Heck yeah, I beat Doug from Two Plus Tough. Like I beat a YouTuber." And it's like, man, you don't even know how not like bragworthy that is. <laughs> you can't even conceive of how low a bar you just accidentally stepped over. And then for narrative events, you know, honestly, this was my second narrative event. The first one was a guy who basically made Christmas quote-unquote presents that you could open up once per game and either had a good effect from Santa or a bad effect from Krampus. Oh, yeah. And you had to play yeah. a game like that with these weird janky rules. And like most people just weren't super into it. I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> yeah, so I, I like the narrative event stuff. And certainly, if anything, in the Midwest is like Havoc, even though nothing is going to be like havoc but yeah so i, I liked him quite a bit i want to um, just real quick i wanted to intervene and say that reminds me of an event we had a couple years ago wasn't it mark ramchek ran a safe santa event at our game store oh yeah and that was just hilarious man and he just ran it so well and it was so entertaining and so much fun like you said we were playing the game but you knew at some point there was this ultimate thing that you had to do and uh-huh. that was really my first big event as it were for it really wasn't that big but oh, first it was, it for was sing- a mega battle yeah, thing yeah yeah but it, in terms of people mm-hmm. but it, it just was great and I got to meet a lot of people I just loved it and it was Christmas theme like yours was so so I'll interject with a slightly different perspective on that event. Yeah, yeah. So annually, we used to do, keyword being here used to, we used to do like kind of big mega battle narrative things, you know, around the holiday time, you know, just stuff for us to do. Those games were notorious for some of us more competitive players getting absolutely frustrated to hell with each other <laughs> and like like yelling matches like the whole nine yards so it's nice to hear that like dan has this like really fond memory of oh, it dude. where i have this horrifying memory of i set up my army on like one side of the table you know like doing its thing and then three people set up their armies in front of mine and i went guys come on like this is <laughs> this is the guy with a case full of trophies talking versus the mid-tier player who's usually goes two and three you know it's like yeah. what, what are you oh, interested in geez so, yeah that event we always always ends with bad blood for somebody just oh, every single much, time it was so good so, <laughs> yeah. so how about the last thing the lore and the and the general hobby stuff you know i'll be honest with you for me this hobby is much more of a social outlet than mm-hmm. it is like the actual thing like, yeah. i'm not the best painter nor do i want to be I don't see myself, you know, you introduced me as the lore master. There are so many more people who know more than me because they can read and retain faster, and I'm not. But I see myself as a uh, bit of a passionate presenter, how about that, Mm -hmm. Uh, rather than lore master. And so, for me, what ranks highest is just socializing with people. I think probably 
immediately below that, very close, would be hobby. I just enjoy painting. It's very relaxing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably the highest thing. Hobby is probably slightly higher than lower, I would imagine. Right, just enjoying building and painting and just painting. Uh, building is the bane of my existence. Oh, I okay. hate building models. Well, it's, it's too bad <laughs> that you're not closer because I love building like uh, forty no, zombies. I, I can knock those out in an afternoon. Hey, you, you know, know Dan, there's this thing. It's called the United States Postal Service. <laughs> it's, um, so, it's, it's this incredible thing. Uh, Benjamin Franklin invented it. You, you might have heard of him. So where where you're able to take one that, thing okay. from one place from one person and get it to another through some sort of intermediate exchange of goods and services that's largely funded by the United States government. So what Brendan is saying in his usually clever way is that if you have six boxes of models you just don't want to build, send them to me and I will build them for you. No problem. We'll have to work that out. I mean, I'm serious. So that's no problem. I love building stuff. Building and priming and then I'm kind of done, you know. Now, Uh, the concept of the Postal Service was really uh, built. So fortunately, I could edit a lot of this. (laughs) I do have that power. I don't Uh, like when he uses that power. (laughs) Okay, the next one is... I see you kind of snuck some infinity in there and the way this worked for me I mean last episode I talked about it so I will be brief on this is that I've just had this reawakening in terms of my interest in infinity and it's in the code one version right so that's yeah. really the the skirmish version of a skirmish game if there is yep. such a thing and I just love the rules the way it's scaled everything else it just awakened my interest in it as a universe and as a game system and stuff. So what got you to do the Infinity uh, lore? Because I was really pleasantly surprised to see who had done that. You know, I talked about being a passionate presenter. If you can get me excited about a game, I'll do a thousand lore videos on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a fairly good scene in the Pacific Northwest, and oh. so I wanted to get a part of it. I love the kind of sci-fi it is where yeah. it's a bit more optimistic mm-hmm. and, and honestly, to a sad extent, a bit more realistic where it's like, basically mega corporations kind of run things yeah. just because that's the nature of striking out amongst the stars. There has to be a profit margin for it. And I don't know. I just, I thought the world that Corvus Belly created was fascinating. You know, there's some lore elements I'm not the biggest fan of, like how they take like ex- the AIs will make approximations of famous people throughout history. Yes. <laughs> and so that's how they get like William Wallace in space. And it's like, eh, I'm not super into that, but you know, it's cool. Yeah. It's for some. That's uh, good. Yeah. I definitely want to go with Code 1 just because of my initial experience when I kind of dropped out of it for a while was very, you know, the hyper-competitive group and there was a lot of dysfunction and uh-huh. a lot of it was driven by that hyper-competitiveness. There wasn't any mitigation of that in terms of personalities and stuff. So uh, this is really cool and I'm hoping, you know, at some point to get some people to just throw down some dice and play some games of it no big deal you know six or seven models and kind of go with that my problem and why i stopped covering it was simply one i I had trouble getting games in but two if you're not playing code one which wasn't released when i was doing lore videos it is like drinking from a fire hydrant when it comes to those rules you know the age of sigmar is really nice because if you're initially learning you can dictate how complex the game is just by what units you take because Mm -hmm. all the rules are on the war scroll Right. And so, you know, if you just have two units of five liberators, boom, your rules are super clear. Mm-hmm. Whereas Infinity, it's like, this guy comes in camouflage, but it's camouflage three. So that means he can come inside of a building and offers to buy you a drink and pretends to be a date. And that means 
you know, you fail at 10 saves later on and you're like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> yeah, it, it can be. Yeah. And the thing is that each model literally is different. Each model is different. Yes. So you have yes. an army of seven war scrolls and each, and it's only one model, you know, yep. it's just kind of crazy that way. But to your point with code one, you can scale it and they even scale the missions where you just add one model to each mission as you go along so that you're slowly but surely learning the rules and I just love that because it makes it so accessible for people absolutely um, yeah, I love the uh, reactive aspect of it so if you don't oh. if you don't know every time your opponent makes an action that one of your models can see you can stop and do a reaction to them and so that <laughs> opens up some really cool design space yeah people are just playing absolutely every moment both people are in the game so that's really cool that was a lot oh and then the other thing was you had talked about because the next question was any future plans for expansion or changes in priorities and you had talked about your game legacy of atmos so talk a little bit more about that if you want to yeah so on my channel to i am a full-time youtuber and so part of that is or the way i make my income is by promoting other games that are on kickstarter and, and things like that and i've had a I work with some wonderful companies that don't just do games. It's like terrain and all these kinds of things. Well, the last company that I did that for was a couple of guys who were trying to kick fund a Kickstarter game uh, called Legacy of Atmos. It's a skirmish level fantasy war game with kind of a steampunk lean to it, which I love steampunk as an aesthetic. I think it's just the coolest thing. I'm not going to dress up and go to conventions for it, but <laughs> I super appreciate it. And so after I got done promoting their game, we were chatting and they offered to basically come on and help them with a, a narrative direction and kind of help build community engagement, which are like, obviously, as I mentioned before, my favorite aspects of the hobby. Sure. And so uh, I agreed. And so we're in development right now for a second edition of it. Okay. The Kickstarter was taken down, not because it failed. It was actually doing really well the first couple of days, but people were asking for a smaller initial set mm. like they liked all the models but they were like hey is there a way that i can just buy a couple and so they took it down just to to reassess kind of the price point and and that kind of thing okay. but yeah the game is great uh, i'm currently working on obviously developing the community we're writing up the lore and i'm also designing the solo play mode and i did that for Warcry a couple of years ago and I had great success with it so yeah there's a lot of things in development it's going to be a fun narrative game basically every faction is going to have like very very cool asymmetrical narrative objectives and it's being designed with competitive play in mind as well well thanks for sharing that's yeah. great <laughs> thanks <laughs> for letting me talk about it I, it's something i'm so no. excited about and we yeah and i knew you were it. i heard the passion in your voice you i always do when i listen to your stuff but really for this one when i heard the video it's like man he's really uh going crazy on this and that's great <laughs> you know that he's he's so I pumped know. and so excited so yeah i just want to give you a chance to share it with people and thank you yeah yeah i was so excited about it and then I got back from Holy Havoc and I lost my voice and I was like, no, I can't talk <laughs> Not about now. it. Yeah, that's great. Do you have any questions for us? Any general questions? Because uh, we're going to have 10 questions for you in a minute. But Okay. I got a question that's going to make me look real dumb. Okay. All right. No. You guys mentioned this word multiple times and I don't know what it means. What is more prestigious? Division one? Or Division Three. I do not understand sports ball. Ah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so th this is very easy. So Division One <laughs> is the more prestigious, typically. What okay. that ties to, though, is largely the size of the school involved. 
So you do have Division Two and Division Three. Those have a tendency to be more like regional universities. And what I mean by that is like, you know, like you'll have like the University of Wisconsin, but then you'll also have more regional University of Wisconsin schools that are, you know, in different cities like, you know, University of Wisconsin, Parkside. Platteville you know, or something. Stevens some little points. Though, yeah. like, so the University of Wisconsin is a Division One school. The other schools typically fit into different divisions, and that ties into different levels of what sort of scholarships can be provided, yeah, scholarships and, are a big piece of it. you know, and like like what your competitive schedule can look like, and you know, different structures and things like that. Yeah, I had a couple okay. of when I was a coach at a city school. I had a couple of my players go to a school in northern Minnesota of all places, but they didn't have scholarships. You know, so it was I don't know how they ended up working it out, but it was a D three school. Typically, when you have those lower division schools, they don't hand out as many or as big scholarships as the bigger schools. They just don't have the resources, but and the reason I encouraged them was because it still gave them a chance to play college football. Oh yeah, and it didn't really matter because they were not going to compete in a Division One level, but they still got to play college football somewhere, and that was really the the goal for me was to get them into that. But yeah, that's the main difference I think. And not every sport is at the lower divisions. Mm -hmm. Not every sport is at the higher division. It doesn't necessarily prevent you from going on and playing professionally. But the barrier to entry from being in a lower division is is so much higher. You have to do something really incredible in many instances at lower division schools to catch the eye and attention of the professional leagues that would look to sign you to life-changing amounts of money. Okay. So I, I always listen in to your guys' this or that, but it, uh, I don't always understand, so thank you very much. <laughs> you never know until you ask, man. That's great. Anything else either okay. one of you have? or? No, honestly. I you know I'm kind of having a weird moment here because normally when I meet people, they're like, oh, I listen to you all the time, and I'm kind of at a loss, but like, you know, I do listen to you guys all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, we appreciate that. I do have one question for you, Doug. Obviously, you know, you, you talked about it. You're a professional YouTuber. Like, what's the end goal? Like, what does this all look like at, you know, when you've reached the point where you go, I've done everything I can, you know, this looks the way that I'd like it to. I'm thrilled with the success of it. What does that look like? You know, where would you like this train to go? Absolutely. I, you know, honestly, I'm just dipping my toe into it now, which is creating a game creating a community of my own. You know, I, as much as I thoroughly enjoy talking about other people's games and building community that way, the goal is to do my own and, and just be a part of that discussion. So we, we can look forward to a legacy of Atmos YouTube channel at some point in the future. Yep, and I mean, okay. technically the channel already exists, but there's just no content on it, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. Perfect. So what part of you do you think drives that? The, the why is Doug? The why is Doug, okay. We're gonna do some hardcore real talk. This is therapy yeah. between me, my two best friends, and all of their people who listen to their podcast. <laughs> right. Okay. To be honest with you, when I was a kid, we moved around every single year mm. in New Jersey. And so I was very starved for friends. Mm. And I remember as I was a kid, when you would walk up and you, you try to make friends with people, and it was so hard if you didn't have something in common. And so the why is, Doug, is starting a conversation on something we all have in common, which is we're all a bunch of nerds who like painting models and then turning that into meaningful relationships and communities. That's the why of it. Uh, it's just I like people. I want friends and I want everyone to feel like they at least have one. Yeah. And you present it all in such an accessible way where yes. it's relatively easy to understand. I know I always have a short list of you know, kind of in my hip pocket answers for the various questions of, hey, I'm new to this and I'm looking to do this. 
I want to know about this. The Two Plus Tough YouTube channel is the one place I consistently send people where they're like, hey, I'm new to this game. You know, I'm interested in this army, but like, I want to know like what they're about. And go, ah, yeah. easy enough. I do not like to read. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I do appreciate it. As I, I got older, I realized there was a point in my life where I wanted to be a, a minister in the evangelical church. And I have since moved away from that, but I still have the passion for those skill sets of mm. just community focus, taking large concepts and breaking them down like, you know, having knowledge is one skill, but being able to transfer that knowledge to somebody else is something different. <laughs> And so that's kind of been my focus is like, I don't know everything. I get things wrong all the time. Jack makes fun of me because I said that lizard men were on Africa as a continent rather than the, the old world South America. Yeah, you know, I get things wrong, but I don't care because it's not the point. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. That was my meaningful question. I feel like all the rest of them are just going to get edited out because I can't take things seriously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> Well, thanks, man, for that recap. Both of you guys really appreciate it and bringing that to life. And we're going to go ahead then and move on to Scriptorium. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Let's start with new releases. We've got a few. Dagabo's Revenge is the first one. It's about Fingwit de Grot, and it sounds like he's getting revenge for something. And we don't know what, but the cover looks really cool. And I'm sure if you're into Grotz and that kind of story, that it looks like it'll be really good. It is an ebook only, which unfortunately, Games Workshop seems to be doing a lot of ebook only releases right now. And yeah. and I can understand reasons. I get it. But it's just there's some things that I wished I could get in a dead tree form or you know an audio so I could listen to it but it is what it is so it's an ebook wolf time will be coming out or is out in both ebook and audio which is great that is the third dawn of fire book this one is by Gavthorpe, and it looks really, really good. If you are a Space Wolves fan, I think I've said before, this is definitely something you're going to want to read. The other thing that's the second book in a series is called The Magister and the Martyr, and it's not coming out till November 26th, but since we're not going to have another show before then, I wanted to mention it. And it is, again, about... Uh, squad Damocles from the Iron Snakes and Dan Abnett wrote a Iron Snakes book years ago which I still have on my shelf it's just amazing if you want to read a great you know kind of off the shelf or out of the way kind of a space marine chapter that most people aren't familiar with but these guys in the this book and the one before it uh from that book from the original uh iron snakes so you might want to give that a try and again it is only out on ebook right now i'm sure that at some point it'll come out dead tree or audio but so those are the three things that are recent releases coming back around so doug have you had any had reads listens watches anything that you'd like to talk about i have one it's a weird one. Nothing Age of Sigmar related. So there's a show on uh, Netflix called Fantastic Fungi. Cool. Have you guys watched this? No. I have not. No. <laughs> okay. So my wife and I, we love to watch like nature documentaries. Just kind of chill out and be amazed at how crazy the world is. But we're like, okay, you know what? This is probably going to be, you know, a couple minutes of cool like stop motion fungal growths and that kind of stuff. Like, okay, we'll watch some cool stuff and, and that's about it. That's what we bought our tickets for. What we got, this is on Netflix, by the way, was an hour and a half long crazy man in the woods telling us about how fungus covers the entire earth and the mycelium, the little web that connects it all, has created a true neural network so that the world 
thinks and responds in real time to humanity. And also, mushrooms have were likely the thing that separated monkeys from humans at some point because a bunch of pre-humans got super high on shrooms and developed metacognition, I, I guess. I that somewhere when you say that, yeah. Yeah, it's a trip. <laughs> like, I don't That's know if really you cool. like a strong, I don't know, thing of scotch or whatever, but you got to get your brain <laughs> in the right place. It was a fun ride. <laughs> That's great. No good. It sounds like I'm oriented for it all the time. Yes. Yep. Brendan's ready, yeah. Good, man. Brendan, how about you, buddy? You came over this week and we watched Dune together. Yes, we did. And you were very helpful explaining some of the things that went entirely unexplained without any larger context. That was actually really helpful. There wasn't, like, too, too, too much that needed it, but there were definitely some spots where, like, a little bit of exposition on the movie side, like, would have gone a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad I had somebody who knew what they were looking at to be like, well, this is why this is, because any number of times watching it, I would not have understood it. Okay, great. Well, I'm glad there was help. Yeah. But you enjoyed the movie. You said it was yeah. entertaining. So we watched it on my television. I'm very much a person of my generation where, like, I watch things on my tablet, I watch things on my phone, like, you know, I just kind of go wherever and watch it wherever. Watching things on the TV for me ends up being, like, an event. So, like, I can see why taking it one step further and, and people recommending it, seeing it in theaters, like it is shot in a way where mm. like scale ends up being really important. Uh. And I know I wouldn't have gotten that same like impression of scale on my smaller devices. And so even seeing it on the television, I was like, oh, when this is on a huge screen, like this is supposed to be wildly impressive. <laughs> yeah, so it was good. It was entertaining. I don't know that I'd watch it three times like you have at this point. <laughs> so Doug, I went with a friend and his son and kind of like I did with Brendan, I was talking them through it. So there's a lot of stuff I was missing because I wanted to make sure they understood. And so then I went by myself and I went to a giant screen at the theater. It was just insane. I would just... Uh, oh, and awesome. then Brendan had wanted to watch it, so we did his watch. And yeah, it, it was just as enjoyable for me every time. It was great. Yeah, great that's moment. right. Great story. So what else? Past that, I'm a good chunk of the way into Warhawk. <sighs> So I've got like eight or nine hours to go. Okay. So far it's been very entertaining. It's a lot of table setting. They're obviously building to a specific level of momentum. You know, that's go- that always occurs kind of at the end of Warhammer books where there's you know, lots of very dramatic battles and descriptions mm-hmm. of individual actions because like I haven't listened to any of the other White Scars Horace Heresy books yes so for me this is a lot of introduction to you know some of the more like fine details of how the White Scars exist and how they interact and how they do things and you know just kind of like what their general personality is Mm -hmm. as they're being portrayed as a legion in the book and you know this I think maybe, and I'm speaking early, of course, mm-hmm. this may end up inspiring you to listen to Scars and or Path of Heaven <laughs> if you enjoy them as a chapter and Khan as a primark enough. Those are just great books to talk even more about where they are and how they ended up being on the good side, quote, in, mm-hmm. in the story. It's been good so far, great. but again burning candles at too many ends. I really haven't had the time to sit down and, and watch too much. The one show I'm keeping up with right now is Succession, and you know that's halfway done with mm-hmm. its current season. So, cool. Dan, your normal multi-bullet-pointed yeah. <laughs> uh, endeavors. Well, you know what? I With all the hobby I do, it's great because then I can do audiobooks, and I love doing audiobooks if, while I'm hobbying. This Rise of the Ranger book that I was determined to read through before I started Warhawk, I started listening to it, and I'm like, two-thirds of the way through it on audio now because of all the hobby I did. So I kind of switched it over from my dead tree list. 
But I did start Warhawk, and man, I'm just loving the story. Because the Khan is one of my two favorite Loyalist Primarchs. Oh, Le- really? Lehman Rus is my favorite, I think. But the Khan, and especially because I have read those other two books, I read his origin story. They're just amazing. The other thing that, as Brendan said, you know, there's a lot of kind of build-up type of parts. But the one thing that I just love is that Mortarian's in this. And that's not giving anything away. You can tell by looking at the cover. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's pretty obvious. I'm thinking of the books that Guy Haley has written with Gulliman in them. You know, the Indominus books. And, I mean, Mortarian, he's just such a pretender. Like, he talks tough and he's like, yes, I am this guy and I'm connected to the gods. You know, and he does all this stand-up oratory like he's the toughest guy in the world well Gilliman kicked his butt twice and that's with him having buddies to help you know and I know this story but I can just see like building up to this confrontation you know is going to happen between the Khan and Mortarian and if it's anything like his character he's not going to deliver you know, I could just get that feeling. Like, he's going to be all talk, and he's going to be threatening and all this stuff, and the cons is going to go, hey, shut up and fight, man, you know? Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to moving through. I've read through, like, the first 100 pages, I think, in the first day, which is so easy to read. It's a Chris Rate book. So Listens, and that's the only thing I'm reading right now. I want to get through this. So Listens is A Rise of the Ranger I talked about. The third Sean Dillon book that I talked about by Jack Higgins, I'm about halfway through Dangerous Ground. And then while I've been hobbying, I've also been listening through the Commissar Kane books by Sandy Mitchell. And Cindy's been here listening and enjoying with me too. It's really been fun. She's been laughing when stuff happens. The audio is just so good. It's enjoyable listening to this together. And so we're on, we're about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through the second book. And there's six books in the series. But uh, I definitely would recommend them if you want to listen to them with someone else because... They're just so entertaining. I mean, it's for, it's 40K, you know. It's grimdark, but it's not. There's this strong, humorous element because he doesn't take himself seriously. And right. there are just some great jokes while they're reading the book going on. And then the last thing was, I was going to watch Last Duel. We had talked about that before, Brendan. But it's been a financial disaster. Well... The point is, it's no longer in theaters. I'm, I'm going to Except end up watching it on Prime. What is it? I'm really a sucker for Ridley Scott movies. Uh, oh. and, and so this is Ridley Scott, and it's based on a true event. It's one of the last duels that knights had over some point of honor. And the main gist of it is, is that one knight's wife has accused basically his squire and his the person he's mentored another night uh, of raping her and the thing that's different i think challenging for this movie at least from people i have heard that saw it was you go in with this expectation you know it's nights it's action it's going to be all this stuff going on but it's basically three different movies that you have to watch again and again you know so what it does is it takes each person the knight his wife and the other knight and it retells the story from each of their perspectives and then if you're so if you're not ready for seeing some things you know kind of repetitively then you're you're going to be bored and you're going to go oh god I'm leaving now but if you're willing to do that and understand what the, what the movie's trying to do I think it would be more interesting and of course I may be very wrong but I am definitely going to give give it a try so it's called the last duel and it sounds interesting and it's really Scott so I can't not watch it no I'm, um, I'm the same way and that's it I think gents we'll move on to everyone's favorite part of the show yeah. This or that, and Doug, you're getting all ten today, buddy. All right. Oh, coming at you. Loins girded. (laughs) Okay.
Okay, this or that time. Brendan, do you want to start? Why don't we alternate we can, our yeah. questions? And why right. don't you go go first? Sure. So I understand you're not a sports ball guy, so I'm not going to endeavor to um, try and ask you those questions. So we'll start off with a real softball here. It's not sports ball related, I promise. <laughs> What's the hobby-related thing that you are most proud of? Ooh, hobby-related. Now, when you say hobby, do you mean like uh, painting and building kind of hobby, or do you mean like grand, you know, capital H? I'm feeling generous today. Let's go grand, capital H. Okay. I won favorite player at a local three-day event like forever ago, and I don't know why. It's just my favorite thing. I, I have it displayed more prominently than my, you know, Warhammer hero thing. It's just, it's been my favorite. <laughs> nice. That's so great. You're grilling outside, and you can cook one of two different kinds of food. Are you going to cook burgers or hot dogs? Burgers. Why? Because I don't know what's in hot dogs. Does anybody? (laughs) Like, uh, I I find it much easier to tell when beef is at its, like, prime temperature. Gotcha. Also, in the hobby track, but going Age of Sigmar specifically, if you have the ability to make a change with unlimited power. You become James Workshop, as it were. Okay. What is the one thing in Age of Sigmar that you would change? It can be the game, it can be the models, it can be the lore. You are given full executive oversight over a single Age of Sigmar-related uh. decision. Mine that is well publicized. Wow. Mine is pushing Skaven into the ocean and never <laughs> hearing about them again. <laughs> Man, that's a tough one. I think for me... Take your time, because we can edit out all the dead spot. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, here we go. I got it. Never again will Games Workshop have a quote-unquote preview that is nothing more than a logo. Mm -hmm. If I was a Warhammer president, those would be abolished. (laughs) (laughs) As far as, like, positive stuff, uh, I would... Honestly, I would double down on Seraphon lore. I want them to have more of a spotlight. Mm. Okay. Cool. Loving it. Black Library does a great job with, like, the Mechanicus of making them seem, like, foreign. Like, they are the other, right? They're, mm. they're human, but they're not. And they're mm-hmm. on our team, but they're kind of not, you know? Mm. Whereas the same logic should apply to Seraphon, but we never really mm. see them yeah. in that light, so... Yeah, everybody can trust a dinosaur. I don't know what you're talking exactly, about. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly wouldn't argue with one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. My next question is, if you could do a non-hobby podcast topic, what would it be? Oh, weird American folklore. Um, cool. Like, why did we get the story of George Washington and the cherry tree? Or, you know, like all these things that we kind of deify about. Yeah. You know, or like Paul Bunyan and Babe or something like that. Oh, yeah, I would sure. definitely do that. So this is where I remove myself from the hobby discussion and start asking random questions. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, some people love it, some people do not. I love it. Some people really don't. So we'll start with an easy one here. Doug, what's your favorite meal? Chicken quesadillas. Why? I mean, it's everything that's good in life. It's some form of bread, cheese, and meat. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Bread, cheese, and meat. That's great. I kind of love that. Okay, so you're going to play one of two death factions. You can choose between Vampers, Soulblight, or Nighthaunt. Uh, I'm going to say Nighthaunt. Hmm. Okay. Because I enjoy special snowflake points more than winning. Mm. Okay. 
I got you. Which is probably good if I'm going to jump into night hunting. As as you well understand, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I can't wait for their next book whenever that comes, whatever year that comes in. Okay, Brendan, you're up next. Okay. Doug, what is your secret talent slash minor superpower? And what I mean by that is like (laughs) some weird thing about you that in another context, you know, could be considered, you know, supernatural of sorts. Can you give me one as an example? Like one on about yourself? Uh, Yes. So this is where the listener base is going to think I'm actually a crazy person. (laughs) So I dream every night. And in my dreams, I sometimes see brief glimpses of the future. But it lacks full context. It's because he takes too much spice during the day. It, well, okay. And so so what I mean by that is I will end up in that situation and I will go, ah, I have actually seen this moment before. Impression. It gives me no information other than like, you are going to be in this spot. The one thing I have learned over the years is that there is going to be some level of consequence that is going to occur in the very near proximity to that moment. And when I say consequence, you know, either good or bad, there's usually decision points. And sometimes it's this painfully minor thing where I just go, why have I been cursed with the ability to see not only an inconvenient amount of time, but also occasionally irrelevant amounts of time? Okay, I dig it. I dig it. I actually have several weird stories that are very similar like that, but I will choose something over it. Okay, my borderline superpower is my sense of direction. Ooh, cool. My wife constantly makes fun of me because she's like, how the hell do you find these places? I'm like, listen, I'm like Pocahontas. I just, I listen to the wind. (laughs) You know, I paint with all the colors of it and it brings me where I need to be. Cool. (laughs) If you were going to start a skirmish game skirmish game okay would it be kill team or infinity code one Ooh. oh you mean if i was going to pick up one of those two games yeah yeah if you were going to start playing one of those two which would it be definitely infinity one okay cool uh and the reason is that i don't have anything against kill team i don't particularly love the way that games workshop supports their smaller boxed games mm-hmm. like i love warcry but they don't support it unless it's like a $200 box with no context or sure. kind of vision for the future. Whereas Corvus Bounty, like, I feel like each character is really emphasized to have its own story and background and mission and that kind of stuff. Okay, well, that's my fourth question. Okay, fifth question, Doug. All right. So you are presently in Iowa. You are I from am. Iowa. Mm-hmm. What's the most Iowa thing about you? Mm-hmm. My ability to drive through a small town without ever coming to a complete stop, but communicating with everybody with just like your hand at the 12 o'clock position on the wheel and you just kind of lift one finger and nod <laughs> as you drive past people. You talk to the whole dang town. I mean, there's only 200 of them, but you're driving straight through. There's only a stop sign, but you never stop and you say hi to everybody. <laughs> that's great. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> so fantastic. the next one has some personal was that a good one? That was like a perfect Midwest one, no, right? That was. That was a great one. Small Town USA. So this one has kind of a personal context for me. In a total of five days, my lovely wife will be retired, finally. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Congrats. Yeah, so we're really happy for her. And I retired a couple years ago, so I've been retired for a while. So if you had to choose between retiring earlier, let's say six to 12 months before your wife retired, or at the same time that she retired, which do you think you would do? 
I would probably go first because I know that she would be nervous, and so I would cross that Rubicon first and show that it's you know it's safe, it's fine, we're going to be okay, kind of a thing. I would probably do it first. Okay, cool. I think that's it. You made it, man. All this anticipation, you made it. Okay. The hardest question was, what would I do if I had authority? Well, I'm answering that question on a day-to-day basis right now. Yeah. And and I don't know that some people like the answer. (laughs) What would you do if your opinion mattered? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We're going to move on, sadly, to show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Okay, we don't have, as we've tried to do now, we don't have any real major Sunday announcements. Yeah, the only thing, you know, kind of meaningful to the listeners here is Holga Clovenhorn, the event-specific model for Age of Sigmar, will be available for online ordering. Okay. And then there's a bunch of Middle-Earth models, and there's a bunch of Necromunda models, the book... Fine. Nothing earth-shattering. We know that there's a Nurgle book just around the corner here at some point shortly. And as we talk about, you know, what episode 86 hopefully may be. We'll be here and we'll have something fun to talk about just like we did. Doug, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I was so excited when Brandon Off asked if I could come on. (laughs) Uh, So great to have you on board. And good luck with all your endeavors with your legacy game and all those other things. Keep us in the loop. And I really look forward to finally meeting you in person at some date in the future at whatever event it is. Are you planning on going to Adepticon this year at all? Uh, yes, yeah, that's okay. why I was, uh, I was curious about signups when you mentioned it earlier. I don't know how much I'll be participating in, because, you know, again, I kind of just want to get a sense of what the event is like. Sure. Oh, Doug, 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 uh, Doug, Doug, Doug. Uh, Number one, don't play all four days. Number one, don't yeah, do that. No. Huge mistake. Okay. Don't do that. Sign up for the four-person teams. Four-person teams. Right, so it's, everybody has a thousand points. It's rotating doubles, so it's... At least what it oh, at least at least what it's been okay. in the last time we tried to have an Adepticon. It was gonna be you and three of your teammates, everybody with a thousand points. Player A, B, C, and D. Player A and player B would be on a team, player C and player D would be on a team. And so you'd have two doubles games going on that would resolve that matchup. And then, you know, there's some other pairings that would go into the other games. But that's how it's worked in the past, that's how it works on the forty K side. You know, that's a side on the 40k side where like people really get together and like try and show off their hobby or they try and do like something themed together and then contrary to that you get people who say what are the four grossest lists that we can write that work together uh, <laughs> and approach it from that direction i love the doubles format i'm a big fan of teams formats as well and you know this is something from like the 40k side that's made it over to the age of sigmar side of the room that i think is going to be like really well embraced and encouraged so if you are, you know, looking to be there and play, that is the Thursday and Friday of Adepticon. It's a two-day event, too? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or at least, okay. it, to my understanding, at this moment in time, it's planned to be. How about that? The other thing I would say as a comment is, you know, I don't play Sigmar when I'm there. What my goal is to play as many different systems or things that look interesting as I can. If you're not interested in just like, as Brendan said, you do not want to play all four days. I agree with you. Absolutely not. But you can take, you know, a morning and you could play two different systems or two different different things on say Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon and then take a break and just wander around the market, meet with people 
people Friday afternoon. You could come back, sleep in. Friday afternoon, play something you've never played before that you looked at and you said, that looks interesting. So try out all these different things because it's one of the few venues where you literally have dozens and dozens of choices of different game systems and different activities that you can do from the garden. That's awesome. Yeah, that, right. that would be another suggestion. So one way or the other, we'll have to make sure that we get together and uh, hang out for a while sometime in those four days. Please, please. I would love that. Okay. Thanks again, everybody. Brennan, as always, take care. Thank and you. thank you, my friend. And it was great watching Doom with you, buddy. That, yeah. was, that was very cool. We haven't had a movie night before. So no. listeners, thank you for joining us as always. And you guys take care, be safe, and we will see you next time around. Bye. This is